Yo, how are you doing, folks? Welcome to episode 95 of the Simple Life Podcast. We are five away from our first century, the first of many. You're going to see me hit a thousand because, frankly, I've got plenty of shit to say. <laughs> and I keep finding more people to bump into to have these conversations with. Um, two of which you are seeing uh, on the other side of the camera right now, but I'm not going to introduce them right now because I wanted to talk some shit with y'all. Uh, it's the end of summer. As I said last week, uh, we're now moving into, I suppose, Croptober. More important for, I suppose, our guests than us in the UK because we're not necessarily limited to sort of climate in terms of the way that we uh, cultivate, especially sort of outdoors. I've seen quite a lot of really successful gorilla growers coming down this year. Keep it up, people. I want to see more of that on Instagram. I want to see more just taking back the land. You know what I mean? Seeds and water. We don't really need much more than that. We can we can overgrow that system. So I want to see more pictures. Tag us, send us them. Keep it cutting. Right, today's guest, terrible segue there, but whatever, we're moving on anyway. Today's guests are two brothers from Mendocino County in California, the world-famous Mendocino County, who started making music together in 2007 and having released their first album in 2009, have been playing together since as the band Mendo Dope Boys. They are famed for their reggae hip-hop sound, growing cannabis trees. I say trees because wait till you see the size of some of these. I'll superimpose some images later on, folks, so you can see them. Um, and for being champions of cannabis farmers, grow your own, and the cannabis culture they are old e and bleezy i can't even say old e and bleezy b how you doing guys yeah, good brother how you doing we're doing really good i'm good i'm good bacon right now yeah it was... first session of the morning nice nice i mean we couldn't quite have the same uh here in the uk this time of year waking up bacon outside and it looking so lovely <laughs> Yeah, California seems to uh, be perpetual sunshine. I mean, it is seen, especially in the, the global cannabis culture, as, as a hub and a mecca for, for cannabis cultivation. And I suppose you guys have, we're not just in the music side of it, but in the culture side of it for, for decades now. So uh, actually, before I was going to just jump in to get your opinion of it, I suppose actually, let's go back and um, let's talk about founding the band. How did how did that, that come to be? Obviously, I know you've known each other because you were you were brought up together being brothers. Um, but what what kind of inspired you and influenced you to to start making music together? Oh man, um, I guess uh, you know just uh, being big uh, big on music in general. You know, we always like listening to a lot of music growing up, uh, influenced by a lot of Bay Area music up here in Northern California, a lot of independent kind of artists and. Um, just really loved music, was into art and drawing and different stuff, started getting into poem writing and that kind of evolved into writing music and like realizing, oh, wow, this is kind of cool. Like I really enjoyed writing and figuring out rhymes and talking about things. And over the first couple of years of freestyling with friends and just playing around, having fun with it, um, Bleezy, he started playing around with making beats and uh, started twiddling with things and making noises on old programs and, um, from there like it really just started evolving into well okay like this is really fun creating music and um we had an opportunity to meet with someone that we had looked up to for a long time growing up um reek daddy out of vallejo california the crest side he was uh on nyb records he was um a gangster rapper from vallejo this is like mm -hmm. the old school music that we grew up on was really a lot of hardcore stuff um a lot of um a lot of pimp rappers and drug dealer mm. rappers you know like regular <clears throat> city a lot of city rap gangster rap stuff we grew up listening yeah. to mac dre tupac andre nicotina brother lynch all kind of these kind of mm. guys that we really were influenced by at the beginning and mm -hmm. um we were able to meet up with reek daddy and uh through through cannabis that's what actually 
connected us was uh, one of our buddies ran into him at a gas station, hooked him up with some weed, <laughs> and some CDs, and was like, wow. "Man, hit me up, hit me up with some yeah. of that tree that you guys have." And he came home to tell us, and at first we were like, "Man." Are we're, you, we're like that's so dope dude are you sure it was the real reek and he's had the posters and the cds and we're like wow you really did meet reek and he's like wow. yeah he said come come through sometime bring some weed and we're like yeah i bet he did like i don't know if we want to bring you know bags of herb up here in the in the hood and we already <laughs> like knew there's like out here you know there's a lot of a lot of robberies and a lot of people getting jacked throughout the beginning of our life and the beginning of the weed game when we got into it so we were just very suspicious about going over there and, and meeting up with him in person and stuff like about like a weed kind of meeting or whatever, bringing weed to the cell or something. Mm -hmm. um, but we did end up going over there and he was just so cool. The first time we met him, like even this is so funny, I always remember the first time we went to his house, we brought our bong and we were smoking out the bong and we forgot our bong at his house. And we're like, oh, that's gone. He <laughs> <laughs> lived in the hood too, like super crazy mm. neighborhood it was kind of dangerous to get to his neighborhood it was like a one way in one way out situation uh, a lot of people would tell us like be careful when you go over there it's a, it's a crazy part of town yeah, yeah. But, uh, we left our bong there right at his house and he, he kept it safe for us he's like i got your bong when, when you guys come back up grab it and we're like no way dude that is so cool so it really it showed us right there it was like okay this guy is like he, he's like a cool dude he's not mm. He's not gonna rip. Yeah, us he's off. not shysty. Like <laughs> on the first meeting, you know, like and like I wasn't even there for I think the first few times that my brother and a couple of his buddies were going up, you know, to smoke and bring him weed and do some first actually, like getting them hooked up with some weed. Um, mm -hmm. And at the time, you know, me and a couple of my friends were just like freestyle rapping. We had a small microphone in our closet, you know, doing really, really beginning of the day stuff, you know. Yeah. On a little laptop, and uh, I was like, I wonder if uh, Reek would be down to like record a song with us like in my mind i was like it would be so insane like how that'd be so crazy because we've been listening to him for so long and mm. this is at the beginning of us even making music so it was like a, a very far-fetched thing that i didn't know if it would happen but uh <laughs> since we had his number you know i we gave him a call one day and i was like yo i was like seeing if maybe when we come up there next time we could record a song and he's like i didn't know y'all did music he's like yeah let, let's do it so i was like okay it was like oh wow <laughs> this is gonna be intense like so we mm -hmm. went up there with me, Bleasy, a couple of our other friends, and uh, went in the studio with him in his bedroom studio. We were smoking out, and he's like, all right, let, let me see what you guys got. And just really heart racing, really nervous as hell, really young, just like, okay, mm -hmm. let's do some kind of freestyle, a little rap. And he's like, okay, ugh, it's like that. Let's get it. And <laughs> turned on a beat, and boom, we recorded the first song together. And like wow. after that day, after smoking, he's like, all right, when y'all coming back up to record more? And I was like, no way, like for real? Like, <laughs> wow i didn't did not expect that you know it was like just dreaming of being able to record one song with him sit in the room mm -hmm. with him and watch him record was epic you know yeah it was, he was like the first person we kind of saw record at, a, at the next professional level than us he had his his bedroom studio he had the whole uh pro tool set up he had beats that he was making too mm -hmm. um, so it was like damn this is super cool to see like the next step up of what you're supposed to do and like songwriting in general like he was really good writer the way that he wrote his stuff was very like bar after bar very mm -hmm. um organized way of writing and not not like semi-simplistic way of writing but he was just so good at his one-liners and talking shit he could say yeah. so many things he just the most raw rapper <laughs> like whoever like whatever gangster rappers out there he's he was just as raw or, or more raw and he's just more so real too there's nothing fake about anything that he 
also would say. So it was really cool to to kind of like hang out with and be like get to be real good friends with one of the most gangster rappers that's ever rapped. Really, yeah. See such wow. a chill side of them of being you know just mm. looking out like vibing over the over this plant like getting high and, and making music. It was so yeah. fun and like for me at the time you know of being very at the beginning of things like I didn't know too much about writing like bars and how long a verse was supposed to be in the formulation of making an actual song so it was really cool being able to learn firsthand from him working on that and uh right away he's like you guys are y'all the NOYB boys you know like y'all are gonna be riding with me on the label like he had this independent NOYB records label which was none of your business records <laughs> so, so our very first underground album <clears throat> came out in 2007 and during these first recordings of the songs, he's like, he's like, y'all got to have your, your rap names, you know, and y'all, what, what's your name going to be? Like, what's your, what's your guys' thing going to be? And we're like, I don't know really yet. It's hard to say. Like, uh, and Old E was always very little. Like, he smoked weed very at a very young age, and it did for sure stun his growth. He was super short. I was always mm. a shorty, and I was always hanging out with, with him. You know, he, Bleezy's two years older than me, so I was always hanging out with that crowd, like a couple years mm. above me. So I was always the young one and the short one. So they always called me Little E in school. We started rapping. I was like, I don't really want to be called Little E for, for the rap. <laughs> and uh, and Reek Daddy is like, uh, he came up with the name right there. He's like, y'all, you can be Oldie, Oldie. And he was like, somehow he popped off with with, with Brian. You yeah, know? what Jesus said. I don't, I don't remember how he said it, but yeah, he, he came up with Bleezy. And I'm like, that's dope, dude. I, fucking, I like Bleezy. I'll stick with Bleezy. <laughs> And then nice. he's like, for group name, man, he's like, y'all, y'all from Mendo, y'all got the dope. He like, <laughs> <laughs> was like, damn, like that. Like, he was so off the top like that. Reek was so good at, at uh, like, just freestyling and coming up with ideas. And, like, he had, a, mm. he had a crazy brain. And for him to just, like, pop off like that so quick and just be like, boom, connect the two with us. And, and it just, it, boom, the seed was planted. And it was like, okay, we're Mendo dope. It's like, wow. here we go. <laughs> and then after that like our first real album came out in 2009 and that was under NOYB records and that was like our first album that actually went like on a on a real distribution thing with the company and went like nationwide and our CD was actually in stores and it was like oh my god mm -hmm. we did it like we made it to actually our seat we can go to the store and see our CD like it was yeah. insane it was so crazy and we were learning so much still at that time and, and the type of music that we were doing you know being being so influenced by these gangster rappers and kind of city kind of stuff like that was more of the music that we were focused on for a long time even though we were <laughs> we were dabbling into the grow side and we were always big on smoking but at that time we didn't have too much of an opportunity to grow like our own big gardens and like really get in fully into the ganja farming side but over the next couple of years when we really started to get into growing more we started to intertwine our music and really talk about what we were doing and like bring our life into the into what we were doing instead of how much we were influenced by this other side of the game it was like okay now let's take this and bring it into what we've learned and now let's show what we do and and try to like go as deep as we can into the <laughs> into the cannabis culture with like also being influenced with with like artists like uh be real you know cypress hill and cottonmouth kings people that have been rapping about weed and talking about smoking out and partying and all this stuff like we just wanted to get more into the grow side and like mm. what we were doing, you know, we've been living up here in the mountains for a long time and growing up around other ganja farmers and working on the farm, trimming and 
seeing all this happen. So once we started getting into it, being involved in the culture more and like, okay, like let's start putting this together and this is going to be our thing. Like we're going to be like the cannabis culture side. We're going to be like really speaking for the ganja farmers. And like, we felt like it was, it was cool because it was a lane that no one else was really doing or hadn't done yet. You know, everyone was talking about weed and representing it and smoking it, but there wasn't much talk about the grow side and what people were doing up in the hills to, to really get this thing going. So mm. it's really trippy how it evolved from starting out, listening to the gangster rap, meeting these guys, have, giving us a chance to get into the music game and then find ourselves and really represent what we do mm. and like put it out in this cannabis culture style. Wow. Yeah. Qu quite an evolution. Uh, you answered quite a few of my questions. Uh, so as you, as you were going there, um, that was a real sort of concise history of, of the evolution. So how, how early would you say you kind of switched into being um, focused on the, on the cannabis culture in terms of your lyrics and in terms of the, the music, the musical structure itself? Um, because obviously from your, your later albums, it is, entirely representative of the culture i mean you did the the live in the gardens i'll i'm sorry there's a giant fly in here that keeps buzzing around so i keep swat swatting in the air um uh, yeah so obviously was it a conscious thing did you kind of go like we want to put more into this or was it did you feel like it was sort of a natural progression because i suppose during the time frame it was kind of before washington or colorado so there wasn't really any legal scene in the states yet so it was still obviously i imagine quite risky to go hey we grow cannabis we we love cannabis you know yeah it was it was the forever you know we grew up around everyone saying don't say nothing don't tell no one nothing and and we were quiet for the first couple of years and but as it kept going too, like reek one day reek when we came to reeks one day he told us he said you guys have done music with everyone that we grew that like all his homies like all the rappers from the bay and all the people that we wanted to do music with and he's like you guys are uh you should do something different he's like go you can do other stuff he's like you've done this now he's like go go figure out your next step or whatever kind of at the time we're we're just smoking with him and we're like wow what is he talking about we're just, we're having fun doing all this stuff and then one of his other homies was there mr Strills, and he was kind of telling us what he was kind of trying to say and stuff and kind of like explained it to us and we're like okay and at that time was also when we were starting to go to or i was starting to go for sure to like reggae on the river and watching like damian marley and sizzla and barrington levy and all these old school og like reggae artists and the concerts were so fun too at reggae festivals and concerts like that yeah. such a good vibe and so much weed everything was like right up our alley so we're like okay let's we want to start doing just trying to see if we can do music with some reggae people and then that also was right around the same time when we kind of met Subcool, and we were looking up to sub for a while so when we met sub in person and stuff it was like super eye-opening too because he was so about blasting the weed and just talking about it and teaching people as much as possible yeah. so then being around him for a little bit um started getting us kind of seeing that side of things about really promoting weed and not being scared to do it. And then right around that same time, I was ended up being like 2013 when he was starting to come to our house and film with us at the house. And then that's the year we got raided. So then after the raid and being homies with sub and reek, we're still friends with reek and going through everything and figuring out our, our shit was at the same time when we were just went full throttle mm. with the weed stuff. And just like the cops kind of like pushed us into really just saying fuck it we already got busted now and they want yeah. us to like grow a very small amount because we grow such big plants they said you, we can only grow six like if they 
catch us with more than six plants, then we're going to be in big trouble. And we're like, we could either just go in the mountains and grow, make money in the hills, or we could just do six and like hang out with sub and promote and film everything we do and really make the music more of our life and more serious, not just uh, focusing on the music for fun and the weed for like our living and stuff. So that right around that time, we got like our music business. Uh, we started doing all of like the Planters of the Trees CD. Yep. And finishing that Planters of the Trees CD off. And that ended up being like one of our best selling, biggest CDs ever. And so many people like had so much feedback about it. We never really got a lot of feedback with our other music. People, we had friends that listened to it, but no one was super stoked on it. <laughs> it was, it's cool. It's you cool. got it's got some cool stuff, but when we started being more positive and really focusing on the weed, it was a, a huge circle of people that were really into it, and mm. and uh, it just made us really like really focus in on that and have dial that in more. It was just <clears throat> the gangster rap stuff. We still have a lot of hard beats and a lot of different people that we work with that are uh, like Sally Cell. We got Sally Cell on a song right now. He's another rapper from the Bay that we've always wanted to work with. Um, but it's just really cool uh seeing like seeing how how the positive music ended up being like where where we're supposed to be mm. not so negative yeah we really started switching up the the content of our like actual like lyrics and like the the what we were the message that we were putting out i remember it was even like the the year before planters of the trees like in 2012 like we were on a mission for a long time once we got out of high school we were recording music every day and like after meeting with Rico, you know, we we're trying to perfect our craft like just recording and recording and making new songs so we had hundreds hundreds of songs that we were sitting on in our catalog and we decided like we want to put out like an, an album every month like in 2012 when we we're on a, a a different label before we started our own independent fully have our own catalog we dropped a cd every month in 2012 so we dropped 12 albums some stuff we were recording new on the spot for certain albums and some we were just kind of piecing together and pulling songs like, oh, this one feels like it fits this and this fits this. Mm. One of the albums that we did was called Positive Vibes. And that was one that really like, that was like our transition of like songs that we recorded that were totally different than what we were doing before on that more raw street style gangster rap stuff. Like where we were like, all right, let's like really talk about some really super positive things and like, and like switch up switch things up totally just like mm -hmm. and see how it goes for this project and that was one of the projects where like Bleezy was saying like we got so much different feedback than what we had ever got before from our music it really all of a sudden it was like whoa instead of this like tight group of our homies and people listening now it just expanded to these new people they're like whoa these song this song is really cool and like mm -hmm. i love this album and it was like okay they're starting to really this is starting to catch on and do something different and even like not even it wasn't super intertwined with weed on that time it was just really positive kind of lyrics and then once we got into the next year with you know working with sub and and farming more ourselves it was like once we recorded the planters of the trees album started working with reggae artists and these branching out to this whole different scene it was a it was a world of difference that just like okay this is really this is our lane right here like reek wanted us to find we were influenced by this worked with them now let's really do our thing and intertwine and bring this group together and merge it with that group and like, just make it bigger. Mm. And that's exactly what started to happen. And it was so cool to see it. And it was like, okay, like this is our calling. Let's go all the way. This is cannabis culture music. This is a, 
a new strain of music we started calling it you know no one was doing this so <laughs> and we just went all out and from from then on yeah we've really our stuff is you know fully 90 percent focused all around the plant and that's the kind of music that we make yeah and, uh, it's as you say you literally have kind of created your own genre because as you say people have been referencing cannabis for for forever i mean you got like willie nelson who's literally a billion years old um <laughs> and everyone that's come since really and you've got kind of two different types if you've got the people that kind of reference for clout and it's i smoke this i do this and it's an ego thing and then there is kind of what, what you guys have really pushed and I hope to see more artists kind of meet that same inspiration in the same cycle that that, that you have uh, with Reek and others, that they can then be like, move into that new space and populate it more with artists that are going to preach truth about the plant. Because yeah, it's all well and good that you smoke whatever, that's your your desire, your prerogative, how much you want to consume. That's not a measure of, 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 of whether I should respect you or not, but what you know about the plant and what you do for the culture, that will definitely earn my respect. And I think we're seeing more of that. So uh, one of the questions actually I really did want to specifically ask you guys is something that I wrote an article or a blog about a couple of years ago uh, when Jay-Z, uh, his Rock Nation, they merged into a, a SPAC special acquisition company deal and they basically announced that everyone on his record label was going to get a, a weed deal. So there was going to be like Alicia Keys, Cannabis and all of this. And um, I just want to get your opinions as being musicians and artists, and obviously we'll move on to what you're doing in terms of the business side of things uh, shortly. Um, but your opinion on having you've grown through that culture and you've built that from the dark days of prohibition, obviously you were saying with the violence and everything else, and then going on that organic journey of transition from gangster rap, which was quite representative of the culture because you had to be aggressive, you had to be you know masculine and macho and whatever to protect your crop, to protect your your bit, your spot. And obviously that's now evolved, but in some ways parts of the music haven't. And I just don't want to see, I mean, I, I read man, I think it was of all people, uh, I say of all people, he came out, I think earlier in the year and he made a comment that was picked up by some TMZ or whatever saying, yeah, what the fuck's the Jay-Z ever done for weed? <laughs> you know what I mean and it's and it's kind of right whereas you got Redman Method Man you got Wu-Tang any of these yeah there's still obviously a lot of gangster rap influence in Wu-Tang but again with what the the messaging was trying to be around what it, what the plant can be was always there it was never spoke of as an abusive tool you know what I mean in terms of the way that the music was structured so they always still respected the plant even if some people may have an issue with the, with the lyrics and there were the philosophies I personally don't but each to their own mm -hmm. yeah for sure um, yeah, I mean, it's it sucks for sure to see how easy it is for these people with money like like a Jay-Z type or someone like that. It's so easy for them to make a brand and and put shit on the streets and kind of take shelf space from real people. It sucks also like and but they're going to do that. You know, they do it to alcohol. They do it to every, everyone. Musicians are real good about <laughs> getting their name on everything. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Adidas shoes, you know, run DMC and whatever. Yeah done major hustles with that and so the weed's the next thing what i what sucks that i see all the time i just don't understand like there's a lot of companies that are big that have a lot of money that can do a lot of stuff and they grow poopy weed why don't they ever like find real people i think if someone had this big company actually hired like five real dudes that you know that they've been around and these are the guys now that i want to be on my team to push that would help their company so much and it would help the real people a lot also and what those people might even do for their friends once they're connected with something that kind of big like that so it's just it's so funny like who who is getting hired for all these uh corporate 
non-weed people in the weed game. Like there, there's no one that's a real OG weed person that I've seen get like almost you say like signed. Like they should be getting signed yeah. to some of these big companies. It should almost be the the image that just popped into my head there was Chappelle show and the race draft. Um, and it should, it should be the, yeah, the, so the company, and then you've got, yeah, the best growers, and, and it won't be that kind of celebrity, it'd be that kind because of, there are some people that are wizards that I've met. I mean, I've been lucky enough to travel around America, around Canada a little bit. I've been to a place like Morocco and, and, and Spain and Amsterdam, and I've seen obviously a lot of different growers, and some people just have a magic touch. They can explain and they're humble and they're simple and they'll tell you everything they've done, but there's still something else they have to it. And that you cannot, you can't necessarily teach that. You can obviously apprentice in it and get different variant of that skill set, as it were. But each each of us are so unique with the combination of skills we've acquired. And it I think the states are slightly less bad as as Canada right now, because they just effectively locked everybody out. Uh, that previously did anything. You ran a dispensary, you were whatever, you got locked out. They're now slowly coming around to, I think uh, Remo called it farm to table. Um, so they're kind of cutting out the government a bit and now allowing more competition. And organically, that'll mean that the legacy people, I think a lot of people are kind of like my mentality, which is well, fuck you. No, I don't want to work for you. You should be lucky enough to invest in us. And it should be much more of a reciprocal partnership in that they have the money and the business uh, experience, but they don't know our culture. They don't know our history. And frankly, uh, I think I called it when I was talking to Steve D'Angelo, one of the D'Angelo's, uh, the fuckability variable and or the fuck you variable. And it's just within us that they can spend all their money and do it. And we still just go, nah. Nah, there's a company in, in Canada, in uh, sorry, in Australia I was reading about, and they, uh, I don't know how much they initially put into their, their pot, but they collapsed with $7 million in debt, having only sold $5,000 worth of product. Oh my God. <laughs> in Australia? In Australia, yeah. Oh it, it's, it's an insanity. I mean, I can't, the economics of the dealers, vendors, the, the growers, the people that I operate and work with every day, their margins are 5%, 10% of loss. And those losses are down to post office, are down to police, are down to whatever. Yet when I was talking to, again, Steve D'Angelo, he was talking about Canada, we actually hadn't even referenced last year's numbers. It was 480 something uh, million grams went in the bin. Wow. Yeah. It's like what the hell? Eighty percent of their their product couldn't go to sale. I was so I, I, talking to him about that. I was like, "Oh my god!" And what's what's crazy too? Besides, they're just blowing their money like crazy. They're wasting so much of our water, dude. Think how much water. Yeah, so yeah. and energy as well. Because again, they're not they don't care about it. And not only do they not care about it, they've almost designed a system where. You're not supposed to. I mean, I was in a, uh, I'm not going to name which farm it was. I'm maybe naming off the record. I was in a farm in Mendocino, a, a small community one run by a couple, a couple of guys. And we stood in their two-tier growing room and I just saw this mound when we kind of walked down. I went, what the hell is this? And he went, oh, that's uh, sticks and stems. And I went, have you ever heard of graphene? Have you ever heard of it? And I just listed off all of the industrial potential uh, benefits for, for cannabis uh, from sticks and stems. And he just got redder and redder and redder. And I was like, what's up, man? He's like, my license bans me from touching that shit. I'm a flower farmer. I grow cannabis for the flowers. The rest of it has to be destroyed or, or, or mulched or I, I can't move into industrial application. Otherwise, I'd need a separate license. And if I got that license, they wouldn't give me the flower license. So that means that there's people in California and all over America growing cannabis for fiber and then destroying the flower. And then cannabis <laughs> growing it for flower and destroying the fiber. Yeah, and it's yeah. again it, the, the wastage within this is an insanity but they're so 
desperate to sanitize and homogenize and bring into the fold our culture into their way of operating that neoliberalist capital way of operating but the plant itself i mean you guys know as growers if you overly bank on your plant she'll fuck you up she'll hear me she'll do some if you're already counting those pennies before it's done man she'll hear you she'll hear you in the grow room go yeah fuck you and just trigger those bananas and just self-pollinate there's something in the plant that she knows and i've I've been talking about it for a while with a few friends actually uh, here because we have a big problem with Albanian nationals that have just completely owned the cannabis scene. They are selling star dog and amnesia hairs um, grown in very questionable mediums, but the price of it is nearly 50% cheaper than any of the home grow industry. So in a few years, they've completely taken over it. But people are talking about when they smoke it, they get like headaches or they get like bad feelings. And I think obviously there's the nutrients and whatever one side of it, but I genuinely think there is, there's something in the plant that I don't want to say just love because it's, but there's something more to it that I know that from being a grower myself, that mine always, no offense to anybody out there who's weed, I've tried. Mine always feels it seems to taste better because of the effort, the energy, and I know what's in it. And I, and it just, it means more to me. It means infinitely more to me than, than buying or exchanging or being gifted the flowers. Yeah, it's super true. For the, sure. the flower sucks up the vibe. It it puts it into itself just like it would a nutrient. The music, it puts everything, gets gets mm. uh, trapped into the flower. Yeah, there's so much vibe. It's like, uh, you know, we're, we're not working with the Green Shock Farms guy anymore. There's a big uh, breakup that we had last year with the guy that we were working with with the permitted farms and stuff. But he grows really good flower, and he puts a lot of great energy into his flower. And when he competes and and enters in cups, he wins almost all mm. the time. He's in the top three in every cup, cup he's ever entered. And um, wow. and the weed's special, but it's it's also there's a vibe to it that mm. it's you could tell when you smoke other people's stuff. Like you're saying, it's, yeah. there's something that you just doesn't click. It's like mm -hmm. it could maybe taste okay, but it's just not still not taste not like good to you. It's not mm. um, good for your body in the same time as it is the, as the high. It's like the plant is. Uh, is a, way more alive than people think about it like the like how much this plant is really soaking in everything that's happening around it everything that is growing in mm. the people that are growing it the surroundings what's happening with it like that all comes to play for sure i definitely we we highly believe in the vibes and the energy that goes into growing cannabis that has mm. a, an effect on the on the final actual product you know mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a, I think that's 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 partly why then we're seeing what we're seeing in Canada. I think that's partly what we're seeing with um, certain other legal regions that are popping up now is that the people that are getting involved, are, frankly, are the prohibitionists. They were the people that before the law change were like, oh, you send them to jail, you know, kick them out of school, ruin their lives, take the kids away. And now all of a sudden they're going, wait, how much can I make from this? I'd like to invest in this company here now, please. And we've just seen this huge transition, yet they've brought over this this stigma and this this kind of almost a loathing of cannabis consumers. I went to a, a thing in the UK called Cannabis Europa, and it is 600 quid a ticket. Uh, I didn't pay the, the fucking money. You didn't have it, wouldn't have it to get in. Uh, but, mi but basically, almost minimum. And it's just a bunch of dudes in suits, and it's two days of investment. And they talk the talk of, oh, we're here for the patients. But then every other sentence is our projected profits, you know, our market share. And it's... The those individuals, they would then walk out of there and they would go and they were smoking cigarettes and drinking beer. And there was me and maybe two other people smoking joints at this event. 
Yeah. And we would sort of huddle together in one area and people would come out and smell weed and still have like an offended look on their face. And I'm like, you own a cannabis company. Why are you looking at me like that? Do you know what I mean? And it's more and more of those people are, on, are taking over this, this sort of space. And because of their prejudice, they're looking at the cannabis culture and still almost like, oh, you druggies, you wrongins, you bad people. And they, But they want to learn enough of our culture to sell it back to us. It's very odd time that we're in in our history, really. It's weird, yeah. It's, it's like crazy. They, they don't want to be part of the real culture. They just want to take from the culture. They just want to see. They just want the the, the best side of it. They don't want to. <clears throat> they don't want to help anyone really. It's just like we see the money side of it. That's what it comes down to. Yeah, it's like you're saying. It's just the profit shares, the the margins of like, yeah, how much money can we make? And it's not really about growing it the best way or the cleanest way to really help as much people as we can. It's like how many people can buy this at this price to get us this much money. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, that, it's that war for margins. Uh, we're seeing what was Colombia, I think, zero point zero five cents a gram, and that's all they're they're doing. So it's it started with I think in a lot of ways, Cali was quite late to the scene because obviously your prop uh, was it two fifteen came first? Yeah. Was that the matter? Yeah, so two fifteen kind of secured a market and set off an idea that eventually led to Washington, Colorado, and that started the snowball of the new wave of legalization. Um, but it was sort of kind of protected from what what's come next of this. It's a co-option. That's what the only way to describe it. It's, it's, they're trying to put our culture back into the mainstream rather than allowing us to have pride in, in our own identifiable culture. Do you know what I mean? It's 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 weird that we, we've seen this quite uh, heavily with the co-option of, of gay pride, actually, with police vehicles. I don't know if they do in America, but in the UK, during Pride Week, the vehicles have rainbows on. These are, these are police vehicles. Bear in mind the history of LGBTQ and the struggle of their culture started with Stonewall, effectively, when it really went mainstream. And that was the police attacking gays gay people, queer people. And now then 40 odd years later, suddenly the police vehicles are plastering and the 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 symbol of this culture. It's, I mean, what are we in 10 years? Are we going to see cop cars during 420? You're going to have cannabis leaves on, but they'll still then be arresting us and still using obscure laws to prejudice certain cannabis consumers. We won't just be protected as being all of the cannabis consumers. So I think like, as to get back to my earlier point, I think that the way California's come on late with its uh, 64, it's basically just meant that the legacy people were happy. You, do you know what I mean? 215 was was working because it was so loose and obscure that your doctor would almost coach you through it. You'd pay you $100, you'd sit there, he'd go, how's your back? Or if you miss that cue, how do you sleep? All right, you miss that one. Um, do you lift heavy objects at work? And he'd, he'd, he'd coach you, know, how's your eyesight? And he'd basically coach you into, you just, oh, yes, oh, well, you benefit. And that system kind of worked and it was, yeah, it was, wasn't perfect at all, but it allowed discretion. It allowed people like Eddie Lepp and that to, to build mass gardens and, and you know, obviously uh, the work that Dennis Perrin and others, others did to allow mass access to the populations that needed it without that corporate side of it. Now the corporate side has come, come into it. As we were saying before, that I think most of the legacy people are just so full of angst and just fuck you that they don't want to participate in it. Yeah, it's a huge part of it. Like, there's a lot of people up here that that never got their permits this whole time and they've just been doing their thing still that they didn't want to even be a part of it for us we we knew that this was going to happen you know we knew that weed was going to go legal we knew it wasn't going to be super cool like they're just going to let us to continue to do our thing so we've been like trying to figure out how to how to survive in the new age world and shit with the weed and it's 
it's tough mm. as hell. And like, it's just, it's crazy how much better it was when the people figured it out themselves and we made our own system that works. It's like mm. at big concerts mm. when they have food vendors and people selling drugs and whatever, they have a, a underground system that we just figure out by mm. ourselves. We don't need a, a organized person to tell us what to do. And it works so much better. And you see so many people just mm. struggling right now. And there's only a, a few people that are climbing. There's like, very few companies that are making profits that are going up while everyone else is going down, even though a lot of companies mm. are purposely losing money, you know, also. So it's like, yeah. they like to lose money for taxes and write off situations and all kinds of things. So mm. it's really turned into such a crazy business. The business of it's insane. But I do think like, just like 215, when we were in, we were in high school, um, 2003 my homie got his card he was 17 when he first got his card and he started going to the clubs and we didn't know anything about what to buy you know it took us quite a few years to figure out exactly what we wanted and what was different about different products and stuff and i think mm -hmm. that you can't trick weed people this all these companies they can keep going but you can't trick us and you can maybe trick a new weed smoker but it only take them a couple years to figure out what's real and what's fake and he's not going to smoke that stuff. There's there's yeah. no money for them to make if we all if weed just continues to teach us about weed itself. That is such yeah. I've never thought of that. But you've just filled me with such optimism at the idea because I've been watching it. What's happening is that certain um, sort of dealers in the UK are then again not to badmouth all dealers. Don't get at me, people. Uh, you know I support and love a lot of you folks. Um, but there are certain people that are just hitting that kids leaving school 16 to 18 and they're just they're hitting them with these mylar bags with terrible mids growing in some horrible mediums with absolutely no love no care no flush um no proper cure no dry you know what i mean and it and they're just the kids going i'll give you 50 quid for an eight to that i'll give you 60 quid and just costing themselves out of the market just so they can go to their mates and go look what i got look what i got and it's some stupid cartoon character that's infringing on several copyrights that's, you know, quite <laughs> quite crass in its nature anyway. I mean, we had a, quite a lot of ones. I used to run events in the UK, like uh, vendor events, where we just, we'd call them protestables, like Viv Vivian McPeak style, the Hempfest style. But I'd get no permits. We'd just take over a spot in the city centre and get hundreds of us together and just sell to each other. And the 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 emphasis was there's enough of us that can't really fuck us. And if the police ever came, I I, I went and kind of went, all right. Let's let's do this. Luckily, they they saw the optics of it and never really kind of pushed it. But we had a few vendors turn up there that then started. Going, oh, we're going to brandize. We're going to get your brands. And they came back with like a SpongeBob uh, character, and they'd redded his eyes and put a joint in his mouth. And I was like, dude, no, you can't expect them that I'm going to support you and sponsor and put you as a sponsor on public facing material. If what we're trying to do here is show that cannabis is for adults, we're selling to adults. Do you know what I mean? And yeah, we can all enjoy cartoons and Rick and Morty and Family Guy, whatever else. And but this there has to be that definitive line, especially while the prohibitionists are going. You know, you can't be selling to kids. But my, back to my original, original sorry point is that yeah, the reason I was filled with dread is I was watching them just onboard this generation and them starting to demand more of these. We had tuna tins for a while which was horrible, just little tuna tin uh, yeah. cannabis packs. And they with all the rage and all the vendors went out and bought them off eBay and got them on labels and were putting the crappiest weed in them and adding 30, 40 quid to a, to a tin. And the unions were buying them up. 
but you are right. Is it? Yeah, I've watched the first iteration of those generations now start to demand better products. For all they've been told all this shit by certain people, there's still people like myself and others in the UK that are just constantly promoting and pushing um, knowledge and truth about the plant and creating material and content for them to to understand that there's more than just what they're being sold. Um, so thank you for that, genuinely. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, yeah. I've seen it. I've been talking about it a little bit. It's like, if you can't trick, you can trick people that smoke tobacco and cigarettes. You can trick alcohol drinkers with beer and hard alcohol. But you can't trick us weed smokers. <laughs> we know what we like. And I think... Uh, <laughs> we know what's it, good. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's weird, though, because that's, that's the truth of something that we in the UK here are massively struggling with. So we've just got a prescription system since 2018. Uh, in the interest of fairness, I am a, a script holder myself, but I'm, I'm jipping their system to get a pot, frankly. And I don't care if that's on the record because that is exactly what I am doing. And majority of people in this country are fucking doing. Um, so the pot gives you that sort of protection. But they're prescribing based on THC CBD ratios when we know that it's the combination, uh, the synergy of the terpenes, flavonoids, other minor uh, components and the cannabinoids together that give the effect and that it's as unique as our fingerprints like you guys are sit, uh, sat smoking on the same joint right now you know the same cultivar but we'll have nuanced different reactions to it so they're trying to standardize and sell our industry by going oh if you smoke lemon here's all of you will have this response oh, if you smoke sardog you'll have all this response and it's just bullshit they're, they're trying to create a market that doesn't exist and it's the, the harder the push it i think you're right yeah the the more people are just gonna be like whoa, whoa no this is this is not it uh-huh. <laughs> yeah not doing it for me <laughs> yeah yep. interesting interesting um so let's get on the business side of things because obviously you you guys grow some trees obviously slightly more restricted than i uh, suppose you would uh, like to be in, in an ideal world um so as breeders, you guys, you, you produce your own genetics as well. I think I read it, don't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah we've been uh, our own breeding for a couple of years now. Nice. Do you want to give us a sort of a summation, a bit of an insight into that? Yeah, it's like, uh, you know, because working with Subcool forever, like Subcool was the king of, of breed. He was like the king of cannabis for a bit. <laughs> he was breeding the most strains, and he had people breeding strains that he was selling on his catalog, like his partners and stuff. So there was so many strains that we would – be growing before we even met sub and then once we met sub we had access to his whole vault of every strain he's ever made we could get a seed anytime we wanted of anything it was outrageous stuff that he had collected for years stuff that hasn't been released yet we were always doing new tester things because we always like new strains so we very rarely stick to the same strain we're always growing mm -hmm. new stuff um and then was and so like being around him was just like super cool and watching him to do all the breeding stuff but it was it was like we didn't want to breed we had so much fun watching him do it and getting mm -hmm. all this, the any strain that he would make where it was already right there um and then but it was always interesting and he and then he uh he wanted to make our mental dope strain so then we kind of made that with him and we brought our female over there and he started a male and we went in the room and we kicked the plant around and had it pollinate all of our females it was so cool to see mm -hmm. um so slowly we just kept getting more into wanting to do it. We just were always so busy with our music and everything else that breeding was, it, it was always very serious. Like to be a breeder, we felt like there's only certain people that, um, that were breeding because they were really serious about it. They weren't pollen chuckers at all. Mm -hmm. um, so it was, just seemed like it was like pretty overwhelming for us to jump into it. But then a little bit after sub passed and, um, and after the, um, 
even right before Sub passed, when the fire hit and took Sub Cool's house out, it took out all his seeds, like his whole stash. It took out our mental dope strain that we just made. It was before we got to release it, so it, it all burned in the fire. So then we remade it at our house because Sub's house was gone. And then that kind of like started us seeing like it's not super difficult to, to breed. And it was like super fun to do. And then after that, we just started kind of wanting to make a next lineup. And after Sub passed, we felt like it was just like, part of like it's almost like being uh and walking with the shoes or like him helping us like mm-hmm. even in our passing us the torch almost yeah, yeah, yeah like our breed room uh his brother right he sent us the ashes yeah yeah sub cool's brother sent us subs ashes and like a little bullet we have two little bullets with subs ashes in it and we put that in our breeding room so he's kind of nice. there with he's surrounded by the plants yeah and so you know sub was always like before we had made the strain with him he was always pushing us like man you guys should you guys should make your own strains. You guys should start breeding. And we're like, yeah, like it, we, yeah, for sure we want to, but we're just not quite ready yet. And he's like, more and more pushing us that we gotta, you know, make your guys a strain. And then he's like, you guys have done everything else. He's like, you guys been making music about this. You did this. You grow the biggest trees. You've done this. It's like it's time. The next thing for you guys is like making strains. And it was like, okay, like, and that's when we got to make the strain with them and really be firsthand in the mix and and watching it the process happen and shucking the seeds out and it was just like wow this is this is really cool and it's like it is the next step for us to get into like starting to create our own strains and making things that that we really like you know sub always he made strains that stuff that he loved and he intertwined and felt like it was really good weed and you know when someone like that like knows good weed and what they like majority of time everyone else is going to be enjoying it too because like you know sub was a weed nerd he was the, the yeah. one you know like so j- and just like us like we've grown up in it so long that we became really connoisseurs and like know our shit you know we like mm-hmm. we know what good weed is so we and being around some of these cats and watching them create strains it was just kind of soaking that game up and learning that knowledge and then okay let's let's start doing it let's start start experimenting and the first couple rounds we did came out really nice and it was just it's been so much fun that all right yeah let's make some more like what else can we do like i wonder what <laughs> and we're such pheno hunters too like that's such a big thing for us and what makes growing cannabis so fun for us the whole time and will always be fun is is pheno hunting and seeing these variations and just seeing how many different things can happen from each strain you know it's just so it's so cool and interesting and how deep you can dive into all these terpene combinations, all the, the ratios of THCs and CBDs. So it's like, it's a never ending thing that we just feel like we can always continue painting new pictures and creating new flowers and strains and art, mm. you know, for, for people to enjoy. That's lush. That's lush. So do you do your own, um, so wait, are, they, are you providing genetics commercially? So you're providing seeds. Oh, producing yeah, seeds, yeah, we, rather. We, we sell the seeds for so long, working with Sub, so many, and then with us filming our garden and having big plants, so many people just hit us up. <laughs> Can I buy seeds? What, I want to buy seeds so everyone thinks if they get our seeds, they'll have our plants. They'll have trees, yeah. So, like, for so long, we're just turning it down. Go to Subcool. Uh, we like exotic genetics, too. We're like, go to exotic genetics. And after so long, we're like, are we fucking stupid? <laughs> like, it's like awesome. Yeah. Like, everyone wants to buy our seeds. We're like, turning down we? everyone. When, and after we start making them, we're like, oh, wow, it's it's really easy to make some fire when you have a really good mom and you kind of know yeah. your plants and pick out a nice male. It's not super hard to make really good stuff anymore because there's so much good stuff that you're using. 
Um, yeah, I suppose there's an, an ever-growing market as well. Uh, yeah, I was just curious if you did sort of your own uh, artwork for sort of the packaging. Uh, I mean, we have a lot of ideas. Like, we give a lot of our an insight to our artwork people of, like, our whole, like, we like to visualize concepts and, like, same with our album covers and things. Like, when we make an album, we really like to do really theme-style stuff where we'll revolve around a certain thing. And, like, so we'll have ideas to bring to life and we'll bring it to our people, like, one of our uh, homies out here that uh, a local that we live with uh, king size creations he's been doing our like album cover artwork for since our very first album that we dropped to so the first concert flyer that we ever made you know was with wow. him so we made our uh, mental dope logo and everything yep so it's like with us photoshop and making professional artwork is the last thing that we didn't want to do we just <laughs> got photoshop this year so we could do small things but it is like a whole nother world where we'll rough sketch it and then let them do that. Yeah. Nah, yeah, I get that. I am full of ideas, but my execution uh, often leaves a lot for the imagination uh, to desire. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, I suppose let's, let's get into some nitty gritty then. Let's actually look at California. Um, it's legal market since 2016 has been speculated for a while and i think now factually being proven to be possibly one of the most most diverted markets as in that the most product that's legally produced ends up in illegal markets as it were or not legally sold um why why do you think that's ended up is it is it part of the tax is it the the culture like you said of people that are just going well we're just going to continue to grow anyway or yeah, is it it's for sure both i think there's a lot of people that have their hookups for a long time and they're it went legal they didn't care they're just still going to do what they wanted to do mm. and then a lot of people got permits to be safe they had the money to just do the permit the metric system hasn't been pro so there's a lot of loopholes in metric and even they didn't start doing that even for the first year or two like force need to do it also so mm. some semi-smart people depending on what lane you're trying to take just got the permits to be able to grow a giant garden without getting harassed by the cops and then that just goes wherever it wants to go mm. um and then so many of the big companies you know i won't want to name names too because i don't know firsthand but i've heard a lot of things about some of the biggest companies and there's an incredible amount of backwards things going on too where they take illegal weed into the legal market instead mm. of taking legal weed into the legal market they go backwards with it yeah, I've, I've uh, been teasing out a narrative that's happening. I can't remember the name of the town, but it's uh, borders on Oregon and uh, California. And one of the local sheriffs earlier in the year declared effectively a state of emergency. And the narrative that seems to be emerging there <clears throat> is um, South American and Central American cartels that are utilizing Oregon being one of the most relaxed areas in terms of how fast and how many licenses they, they issued uh, to be able to produce a mass amount. And yeah, the narrative that I'm kind of hearing from two different sources, one is exactly this, that it is ending up in legal marketplace. And that the other is that it is obviously just being added to the same, to the a lot of the stuff that fails tests in California. So obviously California are quite stringent on heavy metals and particles. And obviously uh, a lot of the people in the industry are, as we've already spoke of, let's just use the colloquial term chads. Um, so they're not really in interested um, or, or giving a shit about the soil that they're building. They're not um, 
um yeah they're not looking at those things so then they're surprised yeah. at the end result and then going oh crap what do we do with it well we put it in the bin it's a tax write-off they don't check that it went in the bin it then goes wherever it goes as you said and it can dependent on it i mean air quotes cali weed here in the uk is selling for sometimes 60 70 quid a gram Damn. and and yeah and yeah it's i know from several sources firsthand from farmers i've met in mendocino that are going yeah watch this go look this box it's gone in the bin. I get a four. I think it was me. I hit the keyboard. Sorry. That's yeah. Um, uh, yeah. So this ends up wherever it ends up. But if you then put it on a plane, if you then vac packets again it's also this loose cali and then what smarter people over here i say smart deceiving individuals over here again to go back to certain certain members of the community and then going all right well let's go get a thousand mylar bags imported from china we'll get them printed up with this see it's cali it's cali and boom you're then talking i mean one of our events before we start to cap the vendors they sold a uh an eighth of stardog for 120 quid that they said there was, was cali import and it was again it's there's also a market here in the UK where they're using rocks and other additives that make the bud incredibly tight and small, other sort of uh, PGRs is sort of the collective term. Um, they make them really small and tight. And then they're seeing that, oh, that, because it looks like it, they're saying that's Cali. So they're putting in products that they know are harmful to the bud to make it look so you get, when you get an eighth is three, three nugs. And when a kid pays that, they're like, oh man, that must mean it's amazing. Do you know what I mean? They haven't got around that. You know, you would la- rather have something loose and, and nice and lovely from somebody's garden that's organic. That's you're gonna smoke one joint of it, but and be riding, really enjoying the experience, not just chasing it. Oh, I'm gonna get stoned in a heavy forehead. Then two hours later, oh, I'm gonna get stoned again, heavy forehead. Yeah. That's that's not the experience of of cannabis. But this is what the people are being tricked into. And again, with the one of the things I appreciate about Oregon versus Cali, and when I stayed in. Eureka, I think it was, which is about an hour and a half down into California. I drove back to Oregon to go buy weed. I did not want to go to a Cali dispensary because I didn't like surrendering my passport in one room, being sat down with no identification, no idea if I'm getting in, then let into a room and then just kind of ushered through. And the experience was very... I'd, I'd, very corporate, very depersonalized. Whereas Oregon, I literally just kind of flashed it to him. He went, oh, British passport, cool, Brit. Talk some shit. And then just anything I wanted to look at, they were giving us bags of weed to pause with and stuff. You know what I mean? Whereas in the dispensaries in Cali, they were literally, his, well, here, you can smoke, they smell the sample. I was like, I don't want to smell the sample. That's been there in weeks. I want to, I want to smell what you're about to sell me. Oh, you know, you can buy that. And it's like, well, there was the experience just wasn't there compared to then, Again, the, the weed that I was given from people that I met in California was phenomenal. It was, and it was, I met commercial growers that were like, no, no, you don't want what we grow commercially. You were not even saying it was bad necessarily, but saying that they're per- like, here's what I've grown with love. Here's my personal couple of plants. Here's a bud of, of love compared to here's our mass produced. And so even that shows that they, they recognize it. For sure. Mm-hmm. Mm. It's crazy. That's funny that you say that. Yeah, because we're pretty used to the clubs being like that, especially different clubs that we would go to in the city and stuff um it's like you're going to meet someone in prison or something <laughs> yeah yeah you gotta go through the whole lock gate situation check your mm-hmm. shit sit there for 10 minutes and then like you're saying yeah this the samples checking the flowers out's changed since legalization the, the, they messed so many things up it was way mm-hmm. cooler on the 215 days it, it was like you're saying you walked in you check out the eights that you're buying actually and mm-hmm. everything
everything's way more personal. It's, it's only a few clubs out there that are like that now. Yeah, it's it's interesting to get as you said under sort of um, under two fifteen. There was the, that, that discrepancy because they didn't seek to overly regulate. It almost they created an ambiguous bit of legislation that meant if you said the right thing at the right time, you were protected, kind of thing. There's, if you, you got inside of it and you played the game, as it were, you knew you were playing a game. They knew you were playing the game, but that then meant that you had more social space. I mean, Nevada's only just bringing on consumption lounges now, and a lot of other places, even like Colorado, I think the the only cannabis club that I would know to be like a European style one. Um, I think there was only one, one or two of them. For all the again, the consumption spaces weren't allowed. You had you could same as some of the Dutch shops. You buy one space next door as a consumption space, but you can't yeah. buy in the consumption space. Yeah. But it's just it's a completely eroded the social experience of cannabis. I mean, I was so excited when I got off the plane in Denver, went to to drive to. Um, yeah, I think it's a funny anecdote actually. So um, that landed. Went immediately was like, I'm going to a weed shop, need some weed. I've been on a plane for like eight hours. Edibles that I ate on the other side have gone. I'm really hyper now. Everything's big and bright and, and crazy and different. Uh, got into my rented car, drove down. Didn't realize I had to drive through downtown Denver at rush hour. Pulled up along, there was this SUV at a traffic light and it beeped us. And I, me being a Brit, and I was I was in the wrong lane, supposed to go right. I cut in front of, cut in front of him. And then about 17,000 blue lights appeared from every corner of this car. And he just, woof, and I'm like, oh, shit, okay, pull over. And obviously, cop walks up, and I first experience of this, and he's got his literally unbuckles his gun, comes, touches the back of my car, and I'm literally got my passport, my driver's license, and my hands are like this in the car. And with the window, window, with the window open, like, I'm not getting fucked with today. Yeah, and fucking, yeah, this 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 whole fucking thing was was weird because as soon as he saw that I was a Brit, he was just like, oh, man, you cool, you cool. Got a business card, wrote down on the back of it, and when you got any trouble, show him this. And it was just the most, like, corrupt thing of, like, what? <laughs> and yeah, yeah went, went, in this, went in this weed shop, went and bought, uh, I think it was Fox Cannabis, shout out Fox Cannabis. They were wonderful. There was a lovely lady in there that she just gave me, like, I wanted to hold the bag, biggest bag of weed she had just out of novelty, and she went... And just pulled like this thing and went, here you go. <laughs> I just went, fuck. <laughs> so, look, they spent a couple hundred dollars, had more weed than, than I very much needed, went back to my motel and realized immediately I couldn't smoke. I was like, wait, lawfully, I can't do shit. I don't own a home. I can't be in my own home. I went down to the clerk and went, I've got a smoking room. And I went, what, is, what does that mean, smoking? <laughs> and the guy went, it's a $250 cleaning charge <laughs> if I smoke weed in the room. And I was like, Okay, <laughs> so it was just like you smoke, I had to smoke weed in the fucking room then. But it was it was so weird that everywhere was selling all of this weed, but then there was no space really that I could find. Even when I went out for walks, I went in the parks, and the parks had signs on saying you can't smoke weed here. And I'm like, yeah. I'm outside. It's ten o'clock at night. There is no one here. Why not? But yeah, it's weird that we've lost that 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 social element. I mean. Why, why do you think that is? Because with pubs or with alcohol consumption, they want to incentivize that because if there's more social space, so you're more likely to consume more product. Yes. Is it, that... It's weird why they don't do it more. I don't understand. It doesn't make much sense. Yeah. Yeah, there's something with the... There has to be something with the laws, the, the way that these laws are. There's a few places that have consumption lounges we've heard of, but... And there was one club here in town that had a consumption lounge, and it was super cool. It was like, like you're saying, it's kind of like how it's supposed to be. It was a separate room. You just went through the next door and you were kind of in an outside area that had an overhang on it. They did concerts mm. there and stuff too. And mm. it's like perfect setup, but there's very few of those. 
I wonder actually, I've just had a, a thought maybe to answer even my own question, that because they've observed our culture under prohibition, and now they've gone, right, let's design it and sell it back to them. They've observed us go out, meet the plug, and run away home because we don't want to be arrested. We don't want to get caught buying drugs or in possession. So maybe there is even an observation there. They've got, well, these people, they go out and they buy the weed and then they run home and they smoke it. So they must only want to get the weed and go home. It, it, it just feels like, again, they just don't know that, no, that's what we want. There's a reason people have traveled to Amsterdam for decades from around the world. And it is to have that social experience. Obviously, there's, there's the red light district and many of the draws and appeals, I imagine, to many people in, in Amsterdam. But it is mainly that that liberal freedom experience of I'm sat on the street smoking a joint, <laughs> you know, enjoying a coffee. And it is that, that novelty, that, that taste of freedom. And I think that that freedom is the element that seems to be missing, especially from all legalization, but especially from, from California. As we were saying before, it seems very deliberately restrictive. Yes, it is. It is very deliberately restrictive. There could be so many cool things. We just went to Michigan this last weekend, and we didn't get to go to any lounges or clubs and stuff, but they have a very relaxed situation it seems like when it comes to events and um all kinds of cool things they do like mm. weed golfing tournaments they got cannabis coffee and uh can uh cars cannabis coffee car show mm -hmm. situations where you smoke and look at cool cars they have all these things nice. that we don't have out here in cali and i'm yeah, like right. what's going on out here mm. why does cali not have any like events that are also weed events it's it's mm -hmm. one or the other it's a super weed event or anything you can't smoke weed at but we yeah. smoke weed this whole time we've been growing up in public. You know, we smoke in public all day in, in front of police on the streets. But it's like there's not an actual hangout place for people. Mm. Like us. And that's, you know, <clears throat> up here, you know, that's rare, too. It's like up here we've been doing it for a long time, just smoking. Like we never worried about it too much. We're just smoke out right out front of the club, whatever, in the streets. Never get mm -hmm. harassed that much. But then when we go out to places, it's like, oh, yeah, we got to. Remember, we're not in Mendo right now. We can't just yeah. up right here like we own the place. Like it's not home. Mm. Yeah, it's it's weird that this is what one of the things I I personally am in an odd position that I'm probably going to end up fighting against legalization here in the UK because of what our government are going to interpret and design it to be. Um, there's also some sort of nuance there around uh, the legalese and the language of it. But I did three hours last week with a lawyer. Go watch that episode, folks. That's where you'll understand everything that I'll talk about with language and law. Um, but yeah, I feel that what I've kind of articulated recent, in recent episodes and what I've really been trying to understand is I feel that legalization is the last death throw of prohibition, that it is the same people that have for 50 years gone or however many years in your region around the world, wherever you're listening, um, you're bad for doing this. You're evil, you're vicious, you're criminals, you're druggies, you're the same as a terrorist, a rapist, whatever. You're bad is bad is bad. Then all of a sudden, they're now, they've designed a system that means they solely profit from selling us little bits of freedom back. And then we are supposed to just kind of accept that and go, well, it's legal, but it's, you know, even as, as fucking as, as Jack Harris said, if, I, if we can't all grow as much as we want, then it's not free. It's not, it's not, there's no liberty there. Yeah. And I think it's the same as if you can smoke a cigarette somewhere, you should be able to smoke a joint. Obviously, you'd be kind of courteous. You're not then going to go, oh, I'm in a tiny space and just blow in people's faces sort of thing. 
but even in nightclubs in the UK, for example, because of the smoking ban, we have almost corrals where they corral the smokers together. And so if you're like out with three smokers, you have to go out with your mates because you don't want to get lost. You know what I mean? So then you're stuck in this this environment. Whereas if it was kind of where it was before, some places smoked inside, some outside, some you just got the curb. But they're just trying to force these behaviors into controlled uh, expressions. And I think cannabis people we're not like that especially the people that are i don't know whether some people say it's like with the the uh sort of raster intention or what has become known as the, as, as the stoner of just you consume cannabis is, is it's 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 idle it is a, a nutrient you consume it morning to night you consume it all day it's it's like water food it's just something you consume and so to then try and corral those into these experiences of going oh you can go to a concert oh but not this one you're not allowed to smoke there oh this one's a weed one so we're only going to bring weed music it it separates the cultures it stops us reintegrating i mean one of the things i appreciate most when i, I went to see one of my favorite bands uh Placebo, in in Amsterdam and contrast these two experiences I saw the same gig two months apart one in a stadium in Amsterdam one in Wembley in London in Amsterdam went over ate some truffles in the morning had a nice 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 lovely day wandering around the canals looking at fucking tulips and cheese um then went and got some edibles and stuff pre-rolls shitload of joints went into the arena was wandering around even in the arena as the one of the acts was on looking for the smoking area and some Dutch guy just went and just spark my joint and just give it. And I was like, okay, okay. And so then just, yeah, just smoked the whole way through the show. And even though it's an indoor joint and everybody was, and security wasn't hassling people. I wasn't looking over my shoulder. But yes. then when I was in Wembley, I was panicked even on the train. I could smell how strong I smelled of weed from the joint I had <laughs> on the, on the, the, between the underground and that train. Then when I got off at Wembley, Wembley is a long, huge walkway uh, toward the stadium. I had two joints on me. And the joint holder was obviously quite long and smooth. And I've had experiences in London where I've been patted down and thought about a fold knife on me because I've had a, a joint holder. Yeah. And so obviously they're still pat down for weapons or whatever. I'm a young lad. Obviously I look like a wrong and apparently. And so I was walking up to it. I panicked and went, all right, fuck it. And I just smoked two joints, just as fast as I could put to both joints down. And when I got to the thing, the guy stopped us and went, you fucking stink. And just like pushed this to the side. And obviously I was, there was clouds still coming off. You got to like move through the clouds to see me. And and so the guy searched us and, and I went, look, he's a joint holder. I've just smoked him. I don't have anything else on me. And he's going to go to my wallet, looking for coke and stuff. I'm like, there's not weed in there. What are you looking for? <laughs> and so he was just going through everything. And he got a supervisor come over and his supervisor asked if they had uh, any air freshener. They wanted to fucking spray me because I smelled offensive. They were wanting to refuse me entry. And then, then they gave me my ticket back and went, we're keeping an eye on you. And if you, you do any drugs, you're out of here. And it was just the most horrific experience and feeling. So by the time I got in, obviously then I was higher than I wanted to be. So I wasn't necessarily overly comfortable. I was in an anxious state because of what security just left me, surrounded by thousands of people, yeah, waiting for a band I wanted to see, but then in a state of just anxiety and then driven to going and buying a pint so I had an object, I had a thing to feel that I fit in almost. Do you know, do you know what I mean? And then still still watch, watch, watch the gig and then watch people spark up cigarettes. And, and I'm like, what? We're in, and it just, the, the, it, boom. It was just such an, an oddity of the, the, the difference of the experience. I mean, the other one is like the Melkweg, famous uh, venue in, in, Amst in Amsterdam. And they hosted uh, the High Times and they did it most recently. I think the one I went to was Unity Cup. And they did the, the announcements of that there. And you just consume inside. You just, it's, it's, it's part of the thing. It's, you're there for weed. Why would you not be allowed to consume weed? So it, it's just odd that 
Amsterdam, which is not and never legalized it, it's entirely just a we're, we're looking the other way, is far more liberal than the places in the world that have, air quotes, legalized it, you know? <laughs> so this is why, again, I feel like it's the last ditch effort of prohibition is that they will legalize it because true freedom means we wouldn't have to legalize cannabis because we don't legalize tomatoes. There's just tomatoes. But if you want to make ketchup, you have to get like a hygiene certificate and health and safety and bottling plants and workers and there's industry there and that needs regulating. But if you just want to make your ketchup at home, Nobody's coming to bray on your door and go, how much is in that? Is that a Times recipe? Now we're going to sue you. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? They're not regulating that shit. And that's what, what I want is the people to be free to fuck around with the plant as much as we want. If I happen to fill my flat with 20,000, I probably couldn't, let's be more realistic, 200 plants. Um, <laughs> I should then be able to do that. If I don't want to go and sell that on mass, yeah, there should be some form of regulation. But there should also be like, uh, I'm trying to think of the equivalent. We have like allotments over here where like old people or people with time grow on uh, designated land and then they have markets where they sell their fruits and veg to each other. That's not regulated. You know, if somebody gets ill off that, somebody got ill off that. No one's going to prison necessarily. No one's going to, do you know what I mean? It's uh -huh, yep. so we, we need that spectrum. Whereas at the minute, it feels like they're concentrating all of it on just this capitalist, highly commercial, who's going to be the Starbucks of weed race, yeah, you know? For sure. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. It is. It's the last ditch effort. I think for sure. Like with, with the California, the way the law states, it says it's like, it's not cannabis legalization, it's cannabis regulation. The whole, that's mm. what the whole law is. It's just, it's regulating it. It's not legalizing it at all. But isn't, and, uh, Calif doesn't California's law also state that it has to have a cancer warning on cannabis packaging? Uh, I made that up? I believe it. I don't know a hundred percent, but I think so. There's lots of, yeah, there's lots of warnings on it. It's yeah, there's a, there's a cancer thing or a surgeon general warning of some sort. Which is amazing considering the study of what we then know about THC and apoptosis and cancer cells, what we know about CBD sort of interfering with cancer growth. It, it, it boggles the mind because, again, like we think of other things that are legal, your brain automatically assumes that the best minds and the best people have brought the knowledge and truth, and we're constantly assessing this, and we're always checking that we're right. And if they're not doing this with, with cannabis at the level that they are producing this, it makes me worry about other regulated systems, uh, to, to, to say the least. Do, do you know what I mean? Because they've said that cannabis is this dangerous drug, this horribly horrific, you know, up there with heroin, despite the fact nowhere in human history is it recorded to have killed anybody. And believe me, we've tried. We're trying every day. We're consuming as much as we can, and it's not killing us. So why, why the hell do we need to put a cancer warning in these? Yeah, there should be a... Smoking too much of this may make you, you know, sit on the couch and watch reruns of fucking Rick and Morty. But that's 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 to your own choice. You know what I mean? It's yep. yeah, it's super true. It's crazy. It's um. What's also funny too is like if they they go too far, we're we're just gonna break the rules again. <laughs> they start. We broke the rules the whole time. We broke the rules. So they they try to set too much real foundation of stuff we don't like. We're just. Mm. Have to do our own thing again. You, you know, but one of the things that again worries me of why I'm against legalization in the UK is that once they pass it, 
it's really going to be hard to, to fix the wrongs of that, especially in our corrupted system. Because we have, similar to your sort of House of, uh, of Representatives and the Senate and the way that that works, we have the House of Lords, but ours is unelected. So basically the people who pick our laws one year, the next few years, they're in a forever position. So they get to fortify and reject any new laws affecting the law that they passed. So they've got, yeah. you know, all the money and power infinitum. Um, and so with California now, they've all, they've used a good chunk of that legal money to create like the California Cannabis Bureau Authority, whatever they called it, and these other nuanced new uh, authoritative institutions that are there to enforce uh, a prohibition 2.0, this legalization. You know, that they're just actively saying, oh, it's been a good year. We've destroyed X amount of millions of plants. Like, how are those being then destroyed under legalization? It, it, it doesn't make sense. So I'm just worried that that power and the authority that they've gained and the public perception that they've taken the Chad lights, the this, this people that have consumed cannabis and are pro-cannabis, but have never really got lost in the culture, never really deep dove into it and lived cannabis. So they're then going, well, I can buy my ounce. I can grow my couple of plants. I'm happy. And so they're, they're then not going to fight and champion and protect, I don't think, the radicals that are then going to go, nah, fuck you. I deserve to be able to grow as much of this and do whatever I want with this. So I just worry that, yeah, the next iteration of this, because it looks like from all the people I'm speaking to, California's is collapsing, even with the, the proposed um, taxation changes. All that's going to then do is, is further accelerate this uh, race to the bottom in terms of the price per pound. And that's just then going to, again, knock out most of your, your hobby low levelists. The only ones that can afford that loss are your large institutions. So, again, it then further concentrates that power against, you know, people like yourselves. So, I'm, yeah. I just, yeah. That's what, that's what sucks, too. Like, whether it's how people will learn as they smoke, but as it takes a couple of years for all of the new smokers to realize that they might want someone else's stuff, they're, they're just going to be hard for them to be on the shelf by then. Mm. It's, that's the like the timing of things very tight for anyone that really loves weed and puts out an, a really good product to actually survive long enough for mm. people to realize that that it's special that it's worth buying over another company that's blasted on there with all mm. of their products like super professional style yeah then we see it's that farmer's market there needs to be the two tiers of regulation as you said that or if you want to spend the millions on the marketing, on the social media presence, on the building, being in, you know, uh, Beverly Hills or whatever, um, then, yeah, that should exist. But then if you are literally just somebody that grows quality cannabis that can then pass the tests and the regulation, you should be able to just do a post system. You should be able to do a, you turn up at a market on a Saturday. I mean, this, I saw uh, JJ, the breeder of Stardog recently, him just doing pop-up stalls in, in literally in a square in New York. Cause obviously there's kind of that space. There was with uh, Colorado for a couple of years before it onboarded between like 2012, 2014, when the first dispensary opened, they had like gift economies so that people would have tables with cannabis on and you'd go over and go, I would like to buy this cannabis. I'm not selling that cannabis. You may donate me some money and I may give you, gift you this cannabis yeah. and it created that sort of loophole. And I think that if we can find and exploit that in uh, the legacy industry inside of these legalized areas, that they'll then be able to thrive and outlive or even not even outlive, but coexist because ultimately the capitalists are going to be here and they're going to continue to do their shit. There will be a McDonald's of weed and they will have that big Mac strain or whatever. Um, and that'll serve the people that want that. The people that literally just want to, Oh, I just want to quickly grab some weed and they'll jump in somewhere, grab a cheap 20 and, and move on with the day. 
But the people that are wanting that experience and wanting to support the culture, I think they would travel to, to those events and they would support them um, in a different way. Yeah. When I was listening to your uh, interview with D'Angelo too, the way he was talking about his idea of the 5,000 square mm. foot limit and uh, being able to sell online too, you know what I mean? Like if they did something just like with an online situation where you could get some kind of permit, pass some kind of tests and do online sales eventually, that mm. would be huge for any small small underground mm -hmm. farmer mm -hmm. yeah i mean the product would step for it yeah the product would then have to stand for itself the marketing gimmicks the advertising the even the, the sort of the trickery of the lighting and the again some of the the i think I only went to two california dispensaries but the way they were set up compared to the mom and pop feel i mean i went to obviously places like ended up in like places like pendleton in oregon and that real out of the way bits so i obviously saw some real niche and different sort of style of, of dispensaries and, and, and access points but the way that it was set up in california was just to almost beguile you just to make you like oh yeah i want the thing and the oh yeah yeah, yeah. whereas the other one's like the nugget that's glowing and flashing <laughs> and like, yeah it's yeah, super that one super mac yeah. store style they all copied the mac the mac yeah version. Yeah, it was crazy. Whereas there was, I don't even know where was it. Um, I think it was Northern Colorado, and one of those they had couches around the outside. And I was like, "Just mind if I, if I take a pee in the garden? Yeah, chill." And then he kept giving us like, once he figured out I was like, uh, I wrote for Weed World, and it was part of like culture in different ways. He kept giving us like tester carts. He was like, "Yeah, hey, we'll go this, go this." And I was like, oh, "Cool, cool." And then the vibe of that was just like, I did not want to leave that space, and that was just like in almost uh, the center of like they're taking a huge car park from like an adjacent Safeway or whatever it was and just like built a unit in the middle of it. And this was just that, that, that weed spot. And it was just inside of it. I could have been in Spain. I could have been in, in Amsterdam. It had that same sense of, I could have, I felt like I could have rolled up in a joint. I, I wouldn't have to obviously risk him getting in trouble or whatever, but it had that yeah. welcoming feeling. Whereas again, there were dispensaries in California. I felt like I may as well have just thrown my wallet and ran away. Like that's all they wanted was the cash. They didn't want me to ask questions. The, the queues as well, they, they make them busy in the way that they slow service, the way that they deliberately slowly check them. And I feel that that's part of, so when you get there, you don't have that time to inquire, to make that informed decision, to weigh up, oh, what about this one versus that one? Do you know what I mean? So, yeah. so you're just in and you're out. Yeah. Yeah, That's it's, it would be a hell of a lot cooler if it was a more comfortable take your time mm. situation, yeah. Does, uh, a couple places like it, but there's so few, and it seems like what sucks too is with the legalization. It's not just the farmers that are struggling; it's the the real mom and pop clubs are super mm. struggling. You would think, you know, like the clubs always make money; like they shouldn't be able to, they they're marking everything up, you know, double or triple. Mm. But they have so many fees; they have so many taxes that they're paying for that. There's a lot of big companies, the big clubs that are, are now like owning more and more clubs in that one company, you know, like different mm -hmm. clubs that own 10 different locations and things like that. And it's making it really hard for, for any of the, of the last one standing to, to be here. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Is it, what's it? Cause I know one of the things that really screwed me up when I was camping in America is when I was in the national forests and the parks, I'm not under the jurisdiction of the state. I'm under the jurisdiction of the Fed. So when I went camping and I was doing drugs in the woods, I could have got in serious fucking trouble. And that <laughs> messed with my head a hell of a lot because it was like, there's an, an arbitrary, like when I drive out the trees, I'm safe. But if I drive back across this line, you're saying that, that cop would then arrest me. 
it was such an arbitrary an arbitrary thing, but it, it got me thinking of then what they didn't sort of restrict the spaces as we were talking about before that you can consume cannabis. So I was just then wondering, is there scope to create like campgrounds and other like semi-private spaces like uh bed and breakfasts sort of things? Um, that, that can then get around that, that you could then supply to the people there because technically they'd be, you know, in a domicile in, in a private space, so it's not a commercial setting. Is the... they, they do have a couple of those. There's a couple starting up. There's a like a weed Airbnb that's kind of out here in California now. And I think, I don't know how much places they have listed on there. It seems like a lot more Northern California spots. Mm. But you can go and uh, stay a night at a farm. And then they have like another price where they'll supply you free weed. You know what I mean? They have that, that kind of system too. Yeah. So they are starting to have things like that. So it's, that's pretty cool to see. Mm-hmm. Um, but like I was saying too, like in Michigan, they have so many different cool things. Like you're saying, like they would have like a campground smoke out, hangout situation. But I think it's uh, possible to do out here, but, but you're still like breaking the rules in a way, you know, it's not, mm-hmm. it's not set up. It seems like, for things to be super relaxed like that where you can do uh mix the cannabis up in certain areas mm. yeah it's it's weird because of the the language they've put in the legislation i spent a night in uh in fresno of all places i was basically trying to avoid la when i, I was winding down my road trip to fly back out um, partly because I'd run out of money and partly because just too overstimulating in terms of even just looking at the I nine or whatever the hell it was. I looked at, they got on that and then got off to Fresno and got a hotel, a motel room. And I was doing some Googling about, uh, about that spot and realized there was at that time that I'd gone, there was no dispensaries in the area. There's a population of like 900,000 people and no, no dispensaries. And I was looking at like the, the network links in terms of like, uh, buses and whatever else. And it, it got me as, as I, I always would anyway, especially when I was out there, I was just sort of Googling shit and realized there's, there's kind of a loophole in the way that California interprets uh, private consumption in your own home is that there's an interpretation that suggests that own home means a home that you own. So therefore, if you don't own it, you don't have the immediate right to it. So therefore, your landlord can determine whether you can consume cannabis in that spot or not. So then you can be in a legal space and not legally be allowed to consume it. And I realized that, again, looking at the statistics, uh, the majority population were black and Hispanic in Fresno. Uh, majority renters, very little private home ownership. No fucking... Uh, and it, the reason I was looking at this is because every time I sparked a joint on my balcony, people for fucking hundreds of yards were looking at the weed smell, were like looking for it. And so I felt really sus. And so I was just looking at it and it, it's a control element. So they then can't legally buy weed there. They can't legally consume it in their own home. You can't, if you then consume it on the street, you're then going to get in trouble as a, as a misdemeanor offense. Yeah. So it just creates a privilege in other spaces and obviously then a disadvantage in in this one. And so, yeah, it's just, as we said before, this is why it feels like pro, uh, legalization is this end point of prohibition because it's doing so much of the work that prohibition set out to do. It's racist, classist endeavors. It's attempts to control the population, to corral us into, you know, behaving a certain way. And it is, I suppose, ultimately just asset stripping our communities because we're giving these industry, this industry money and where's it all going? I mean, I don't know about the tax affairs of someone like Cure Relief or Tilray, but I'm pretty sure that they'll have an entire division of lawyers trying to figure out how the fuck they don't pay that tax back into the system. So then we're just further impoverishing the areas, at least under the dealers. If you bought from Dave down the road, Dave would go spend the money you just give him in the shop down the road. Do you know what I mean? And it would all stay circular in our economies. And 
So it feels like we're, we're, we're losing under legalization. We're losing the freedom that we had to actually be able to walk down the street and smoke a joint because even the same sort of in the UK, people in some areas don't really care. In others, they really do. But then as the, the law sort of changes now with prescriptions, for example, people go, well, is, is that medical? Is that medicinal? <laughs> they, they feel that they've got a right to intervene and then to be like, well, they, oh, you're wrong. You're bad. You're not doing it well. You're not doing it the right way. Do you know what I mean? It's such an oddity, whereas before we had that, oh, they just ignore us. And that's kind of what I want. I want to be ignored by the law. That That's it. To literally just get on with what I'm doing now, <laughs> up my game to be able to make a bit more money and you know provide for my community and pay it forward, start some businesses and employ some homies and, and just get to work do you know what i mean actually put i see a little bit of freedom yeah Hell yeah yeah man. it's a it's such a weird time it's so crazy <laughs> just talking to people about cannabis all the time and just what the plant has gone through it is insane mm. just the evolutions of it and our lifetime i mean even people from the generation before us and even one before crazy weed stories weeds mm. changed so much and now it's in this this very interesting change that we're all going to see mm-hmm. break out for the next 10 years or even say 20 years like what 20 years is a long time to see what's going to happen with the plant yeah man, for sure it's for interesting sure. it <laughs> up here in mendo it's real trippy you know like we stay in the mountains and we we travel a lot but when we're out here it's um we're just in nature with the plants and we get to forget about so much mm. stuff and it, it's kind of sucks sometimes for us because we should be sometimes more political and and more uh involved with different people's uh initiatives and things that are going on but it's like sometimes it's just nice to to get Mm. away from it (laughs) i I can see why i spent three days in mendocino and it's one of the quietest places i think i've ever been on earth that it is just silent other than like the natural sounds of birds and whatever else but there's there's no fucking industry there's no major highways it was just such a wonderful experience and i went uh kind of the end of uh summer uh, it was like late august and so everything just had that golden hue like the grass and everything is getting baked off and everything's moving into a fast autumn and yeah the, the colors of it and just the way that it just flows all the roads flow through and there's just spots where people have just settled and here's my house here's my farm is this and it's just <laughs> yeah. i can see why it's it's easy to turn to turn i mean i turn off the world to have the world turned off um being up there man yeah it is yeah <laughs> it really is it with covid too covid didn't affect us all that much out here mm. Did similar stuff that we do all the time anyways <laughs> Yeah, I think that's, that's one thing we noticed as a as a general cannabis community here in the UK was, yeah, we just kind of persisted. It was like, all right, we're just doing a lot more postal. Um, you know, it was dealers in in London were um were dressing up as like uh, delivery drivers, like people that draw food and uh, for the food services. Nice. People were dressing up as nurses and doctors, so they had a reason to be out on the street. Like, have like a doctor's bag full of deals and shit. <laughs> You know, we get, we, yeah, man, we, we get creative. And this is, again, to go back to what we were sort of saying before of why there should always be optimism. For all we see these legalized systems sort of taking over and gaining gaining ground, um, yeah, we are ingenuitive. We are entrepreneurs. We are borderline geniuses, some of the most weird, wonderful, creative, borderline insane, but lovely people that I've ever met come from the cannabis culture. And I, I just can't wait to see. I'm excited to see what the world would look like with a true like reintegration where we're just all brought back and we can celebrate our weirdness in the same way that we've seen with the, the evolution of, 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 of uh, homosexuality and sort of queer identity in the UK, it was illegal 
but only 60 odd years ago. You know, one of our national heroes, uh, Alan Turing, who uh, cracked the Enigma uh, machine, the Germans um, encryption machine in World War II, he was chemically castrated by the state afterwards because he was convicted for being a homosexual. And you then look at the, the evolution of that now to them being celebrated actively for weeks and months, you know, in the way that it's the major corporations and everything. In some ways, yeah, they're co-opting it, but they're still giving light and space to a culture and allowing that culture to exist within the parameters of itself. No one is going to the gay culture and going, you're being gay wrong. And whereas they entirely do, we've got a bunch of straight people effectively coming to us and going, you're living wrong. I said, well, you don't know our culture. You don't know our struggle. You don't know who we are. We deserve that space, that protected space to exist as we are. As you said before, under uh, 215, it's almost like they created the, the furthest boundaries and then we filled it. And wherever we spilled over the edges, they kind of went, oh, shit, yeah, we'll look the other way. And they allowed it to exist. Whereas now that they've come in with a cookie cutter and just stamped it into the middle of the culture and just wiped away the edges, but it's so small, the space that they've scored, uh, squared off, yeah. the majority of the culture is 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 outside of this. Mm-hmm. Super true, super good. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I like that way to think about <laughs> it for sure. I like uh, betting off so much of that extra stuff that's happening and all the the stuff that's bringing it together in its realness of the of the culture, and they're just trying to really, like you're saying, control us and form us into this thing where it's like, no, we we know what we want to do and we want to feel that freedom and be able to do more, you know, relaxed mm. and and be able to connect differently, like. They're really trying to bottleneck us in and like, all right, here, let's herd you guys into this spot and not let you do this. And that's why it's so important, like these like podcasts like this and different things to continually educate people on on what to to look for in, in products and cannabis and like how to how to help keep small craft farmers alive and survive through this time of that's so hard right now being overtaken yeah. by these big things and big marketing schemes that are getting to all these new smokers and and capturing them and taking our our chance away of you know making it through this big wave but i think we like you said you know there's the optimism and there's light at the end of the tunnel for us there's definitely we can see what what can happen if we just continually work on it and and bring everyone together and make it make it work the way that it it can it it, or the way it should it's like Mm -hmm. we can get there for sure but they're trying to trying to definitely limit how it is and and just regulate it and uh, just form us into their way of doing it. But yeah, they don't understand the culture the same. Mm. Yeah. I think it's more and more, especially as we're discovering through this conversation, it does seem to be, it's an intentional ignorance. They've had plenty of opportunity. There are plenty of people producing content for that they could learn from. There are plenty of people like myself that, you know, I've worked with police, politicians, uh, regulators. I'll have a conversation with anybody about cannabis and drugs because it has been my life and it's i'm still as i constantly remind people i'm at war they declared a war against me and my actions so i've got to defend myself ultimately um and yeah they've placated and twisted us and they've lied to us and gaslit us to a point where i don't blame anybody for cashing in selling out whatever you want to call it for doing whatever they are doing within this space because I think everything is evolving as it's meant to towards us winning in the long term. We couldn't have just on just day dot, just flicked it and gone, all right, yeah, there's the culture. Because it's when cannabis goes legal, not in terms of the law, when it's fully not criminalized in any way, which is an inevitability at this point globally, 
yeah. that's going to seep into everything. We will not have petroleum petrol companies doing what they're doing because the people will be more conscious. Do you, do you know what I mean? Animal agriculture will look different the, in terms of the exploitation of certain nations. Of Our, our behavior will change. We're seeing this already. Like Oregon's a wonderful example. Colorado as well. And basically you go um, <clears throat> that you start with a soft system of access for cannabis it's for, for medicinal needs. Then you move towards this legalized system. And then all of a sudden you're talking about decriminalizing all drugs. And then all of a sudden you're talking about let's fund education for seniors and the people going into college, you know, let's uh, put more parks and spaces, people become more conscious of nature. And so you, we start to see this, this, this evolution. So actually there's probably a good thing in these, these commercial businesses trying to get us to consume as much as possible so that they can make as much as possible, as long as it drives towards that same result. Because as you say, then in a few years, each of them will kind of come to it and go, yeah, this isn't right. So their, their days are very much numbered. I think it's just a case we need to be vigilant as, as we do as we're being and to to do exactly what you guys are doing with the, with the music, what I'm doing with the podcast, what people are doing with writing, with art, we're, we're capturing moments in history that are going to tell our story when the day comes that we're all listened to. We're not just oh, pushed aside because, oh, you're stoner or whatever. That They actually have, we, we should be the ones to write this and we will have these these tomes, these documents, this this data, this evidence to prove, you know, what we went through, where we were, what, what, what actually happened. And I think that's invaluable so that when the final generation of that kit on board, that on boards and goes, nah, fuck the corporate side of it, Though that lives in it with that kind of, as you say, it's just, it's convenient. I'll quickly pull over and grab a couple of pre-rolls. I'll quickly, you know, whatever. But the the people will seek in the same way. They seek good food. The McDonald's proliferates, but sort of high quality restaurants. Do you know what I mean? Sort of bespoke little mom and pop cafes. And, you know, you see them in places where there's 15 of them in a row and none of them compete because they all do something slightly different, but they're all providing food. And I think that's what we're going to look like is eventually they'll just be the same as a smoking sign, you know, like no smoking, smoking, whether a place will be weed friendly or not. And you'll be able to tell immediately and the people that don't want to be around cannabis, yeah, you go to that hotel, you go to that gym, you go to that whatever. But the people that then, they're not bothered. Or even if you just segregate, like we used to do with smoking, like as in tobacco, there'd be a non-smoking and smoking. I think that's quite a fair way to do it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's so true though. Like that's the main reason why they got <clears throat> legalized, you know, illegal in the first place is that this is going to change <laughs> it will change the world it'll change yeah. everything like you're saying the whole way that the whole world thinks all of the the energy sources all of the nature side of things helping mm -hmm. the planet more there's so much money that's going to be lost to people that have built industries for so long and capitalized on different mm -hmm. things it's so crazy to see like what a <laughs> what a world would look like mm -hmm. when we're all the same yeah, like the plant is actually part of the world, like it was kind of here for in the first place. Yeah, man. And I can't it's, believe they can build temp concrete houses that are fireproof. Like that's incredible with all the fires that's out here. Exactly, and all the sticks and stems that are just lying around. It's, <laughs> it's almost yeah. There's it's mental. Could have bought a fireproof <laughs> whole city. <laughs> I can't imagine yeah. what it's gonna be like when it actually. Uh, mm -hmm turns into that it's crazy too like um with all these gardens you know like there's so much uses for the plant that dude, we can have this much we we can over overgrow the planet and mm -hmm. if we use the plant in the right spot these big companies could probably make the same amount of money making uh 
pharmaceutical stuff or making mm-hmm. hempcrete and different things and whatever with the stocks and things. And they don't have to necessarily sell us the flour. You know what I mean? I think over time, maybe only mm-hmm. people that are going to be selling flowers are the, actually the real people. The real farmers. And there's going to be cool products that we'll make, but they'll be making – there's so much room if, if it was open. They'd have a nice niche to just sell THC pills, really professional, and mm-hmm. making anything else they want to make. And uh, but the flower and like the original raw product of the plant being done mm-hmm. in the right way is like you can't really mimic that. So I think over time it'd be really cool to see mm-hmm. what an evolution of that is when the flowers are totally separate from the corporations of cannabis. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for, for sure, exactly. It's it's weird that since William Randolph Hearst and his yellow top press uh, over in, in the States in like the 10s and 20s, 1910s and 20s rather, um, there's been this hysteria that, yeah, cannabis is going to destroy and displace all of these materials. And it's like, why don't you fuckers just invest in it then? If you want to produce rope, why then just get, get a go, oh, no, we're going to destroy cannabis in favor of nylon. Why not just just use cannabis then? It, it's It's such a... And an oddity, yeah, with energy production as well. In terms of like biofuels um, that we can produce now. I mean, with with graphene as a as a supercapacitor, so you use cannabis basically compressed, um, and it makes a supercapacitor battery that is more uh, efficient than lithium cell. So the stuff that we're putting in Teslas and shit, yeah, it's, me- it's mental. I mean, I mean, this is this is uh, that's cannabis paper. It's very ruined at the minute, but that's cannabis pressed paper injected with graphene ink. And so basically you then lay the paper together and you press it together. And the way that the graphene settles onto the paper uh, is in like a honeycomb sort of shape and it's, it's an energy conductive. Um, so the, the, it's, it stores, stores within it. So it's, it's mental. And that can be made as a byproduct from just your stem. <laughs> do, do you know what I mean? So again, like they could be doing all of this shit, but instead we're sending children down tiny holes, literally like being held by legs and tied rope to their legs to, to, dig through tunnel ways to find ore to then mine up and pollute into the atmosphere. And we can locally source all of this shit. It, it doesn't need to be a war. It's They can have it. We, we, we're not interested in that. I want to see that proliferate, but I personally don't want to be involved in that kind of industry. That needs to exist en masse. That's trillions of plants grown every year. Yeah, pro- grow them uh, more traditional uh, sativa-leaning genetics. So you grow them for much longer into the season. They're not flowering uh, heavy, so you're not getting resin. You're just getting majority cellulose and fiber materials and use that within all your industrial. And that can then stay separate. You then don't need to fence that off, have armed guards and 24-hour CCTV and all of that shit. <laughs> and then just leave leave the bud and the, dr- the drug aspect to the people that want it as a drug. We don't then need these guys to come in and create mainstream marketing and make millions more consumers. The people that want cannabis, guess what? They find it. And anyway, so I think that that's the other part of this kind of conversation we need to have, not just us, but I mean, collectively as a culture about legalization is they're going to want to onboard millions more consumers. And I'm not saying that's necessarily a bad thing, but I found, especially this, not just with cannabis, but with other drugs, is that they've arrived at the right in my life at the right time. I've not had to seek things like DMT. When DMT arrived at me, I needed DMT, and it's been a, a component of my life ever since. Mm-hmm. But then I worry that now we're seeing those same investment companies that have done what they've done to California and Canada. 
they're moving into psychedelics now. So they're now looking to echo to legalize psychedelics and create, you know, therapies around mushrooms. We're seeing that obviously in, in to the north of you guys up in uh, in Oregon, and they're doing this without really giving the people the substance first. And then not not only now going the oh you can you can have it, but we have to sit with you when you have it. How? bullshit is that do you know what i mean they don't even trust us to take it by ourselves and i feel that that's they would have tried to do that with cannabis if they could have make it like a methadone clinic that you go and you buy the weed you, you consumed it right you're allowed to leave now <laughs> you done yet? yeah, yeah. It's, it's again just missing the point oh that is next level it's uh, like, like weed you know is already bad enough but when they start to control like psychedelics and mushrooms mm. Or really, whatever psychedelic that just starts to go real deep into your brain mm. and can really change a, lo- a lot of stuff for you. Yeah, it's not good for people like that to be controlling those kind of situations. It's, it's all yeah, it's all about intention. These substances. I had a uh, Dennis McKenna on the podcast recently, and um, so we were talking about their evolution. Now that they're trying to create the high without the high as well. So they're trying to get the benefit of psychedelics as in the days afterwards without the experience of tripping. And anyone that's tripped can tell you that is the the healing part of it or the majority part of the healing of it. That's where you face your demons. You manifest, you know, the, the things you didn't face as a child. You know, you, you can end up in some ways actually seeing like, not necessarily hallucinating, but sort of facing... Um, you know, monsters, creatures that are, you know, parents, there are authority figures, they are trauma that you haven't addressed, that in that opportunity you can, you know, overcome and, and work through. And they're, they're powerful personal experiences. And yeah, I, I worry about people taking those substances for the first time amongst people that have never taken those substances. I often say, like, you wouldn't get a tattoo from a tattooist that doesn't have tattoos. <laughs> so why, in the same way, why are we buying weed from people that don't smoke weed? Why are we then going to go and allow someone to inject them with ketamine who's never taken ketamine? It just, it, it doesn't, a lot of this just doesn't make sense. It's as you were saying before, like, we can self-regulate. We can self-govern. Guess what? We've been doing that for decades. Do you know what I mean? We just need to be protected in in law to be accepted that we are a culture that does this we're almost a religion we believe in this plant we believe in the spirit of it we celebrate it we have sacrament we have traditions you know even like rolling etc like we are we should be a protected class we are one of the largest non and probably the yeah, it might be hyperbole. One of the largest non-protected groups in in the world are cannabis consumers we're tens of if not hundreds of millions strong Yet we're prejudiced in the majority of countries around the world just for the way we smell, for the way our eyes look. Do you know what I mean? How is this not a form of racism? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it's as far as you can take it. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. It's crazy. Um, uh, we love yeah. weed so much. We will fight to the death. Wow. <laughs> Front line. But that that's it, man. And this is the thing. So one of the reasons I, I, I kind of started this podcast was to be able to have these conversations during lockdown. I, I wasn't traveling. I wasn't able to do anything. And so I just, I just wanted to sort of reconnect with people. And every week it is this sense of that, that vibrance, that fight, that, 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 uh, venom almost of like, fuck you. We're going to fight this. There, there are hundreds, there should be at least 100 people I've had on this podcast that agree that something really needs to be done. And there are people from all walks of life, from all industry, inside of this, outside of this, that are starting to understand. And I think Germany is going to be the big test next year. If Germany ends up looking like 
California plus Canada on acid, I think the entirety of Europe is going to go, whoa, legalization is not what we want. So I think, uh, yeah, very auspicious times really, isn't it? It's, it's As you say, it's, it's exciting. In some ways, still upsetting. I mean, I've still had, so I've had three mates pulled over and are going through current uh, drug driving charges with cannabis at the minute. I've had uh, a friend raided, a friend nearly raided. <laughs> and so we're still actively at, at war. And actually, I suppose it's weed in the UK. The closer we get to legalization, it seems the harder the police are coming. Was this something you saw in California towards the start of 64? Was they were raiding more people the closer they got to actually signing legalization? Oh, yeah, yeah. Definitely, For yeah. sure. Uh-huh. Seemed like a spike of yeah. They went hard. They're like, okay, we're gonna knock down as many people as we can before it transitions into this legal market where they're gonna need as much money as they can to survive mm-hmm. this transition. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they've been busting a lot of people the last few years too. And they they have the the Google Maps Google Earth situation that they can use mm-hmm. the live camera feed now. And our I think if it's our county or if it's the state, I think it's the county by itself. Uh, they always had the ability to do this for quite a few years, I guess, and it kept getting voted against it. And then last mm. year, the year before, they approved the use of them. So now they just are very good about finding the mm. gardens and sending you a notice on your gate saying that you've been spotted with cannabis and you need to cut it down. And um, even with legal gardens, like with our garden, they were Google mapping us uh, the location where the garden's at. We just started there this year the guy that we're working with just bought the property last year and they went to 2016 2015 16 and 17 google map footage to see what the farm used to look like and there was a couple Mm. trees that were where one of the one of the sections of the garden was and they saw that in 2017 the trees were cut so then they now red flagged the garden all these years later because they just looking around at their house looking at our google map searching the whole county what else can we find to try to even on like mm. legal garden throw another wrench in there? Who's trying? There's not a whole bunch of legal gardens trying to play the system and mm. pay the money that it takes to do this, and they're they're like trying to knock us out. It's ridiculous because you guys are paying more tax than most of the corporations in your state. You're paying tax on your feeds, on your water, on your electric. Do you know what I mean? It's it's an absurd. It's an absurdity. So why then should you have to? Uh, okay, yeah. I mean, I understand the licensing for more, it's it's about protecting and limiting the number of plants in c- circulation. I think South Park did a really good takedown of this with Randy, and he start when he starts going after the Colorado home growers uh, because they're going to start him cutting down his biz- on his business. <laughs> and so yeah, it's it's it seems like that's what's happening. So I think the reason it's then got voted recently in your area is probably some of those legal farmers that are paying. And I go, well, this is affecting us. They're listening to the propaganda that's being created by, you know, the industry uh, trade bodies and whatever else that are not your friend, folks. The, tra- <laughs> the trade bodies are not your friend. They are trade bodies. They're there for trade. You are not trade. You may be traded, but you are, they're not there to help you. I'll say that from any region of the world that I'm looking at right now with cannabis. It's scary how many of them are built for business and not end consumer. Yet they will say all the right things and tell us all the right things, but they're destroying the businesses they go for the ones that don't fit their models. Do you know what I mean? So I imagine they're filling them full of shit and going, the reason that your farms and the reason that the, the, your cost per pound has gone so far down is all these illegal farms around you. If you give us more power to go after them and pay more money to us, we could go fuck up these farms for you. <laughs> and it, it's, how's that not a protection racket? You know, the, the gangsters used to still doing some fucking cities, you know? It's so pay to play right now. It's so cutthroat. It's like, 
super Al Capone mode out here. They're mm. fully just as right at the brink, and pretty much they they passed the brink. That's so many farmers are out this year. There's, mm. I think they said sixty percent of the farms are didn't grow this year. Wow. And that's crazy. That do have farms, we cut back. There's only a few people mm. maximizing their permit right now because there's mm. no point to push it and spend all the yeah. time growing a thousand pounds if you're only gonna sell two hundred pounds or whatever it would be. Yeah, so that's, that's crazy. Let's see. Yeah, yeah. Is it? I might be mixing it up. Was it either California or Colorado? There's a company that had been pulled over a few times with armored trucks that are having their cash now seized. Um, I've heard a couple things, but I don't know the specifics. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, it's just it's one of the things I'm gonna dig around a bit more and and figure out what's sort of going out on there because uh, somebody that sort of fed me some information. Uh, I'm not gonna make the person public, but basically was stating that yeah, the, the, the seems to be the way that they're cutting out a few companies. Uh, the way that they seem to be cutting out a few companies is basically they're they're targeting their trucks. So when they're moving the cash, because obviously federally they can't bank it. Um, and then they're seizing it under forfeit asset, seizing it as a forfeit asset forfeiture. Sorry, couldn't, couldn't quite get my words out there. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah as a way of then, we're not going to stop you selling. We're not going to stop you growing. We're, not, we're just going to take the money at the end of it. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just like, it's it, again, it, it's mental the, the way that it's sort of been set up. Um, but so for you guys living there and actively being part of it for so long and watching it change through the the, the different iterations of Prop sixty four and two fifteen, what what would you guys like to see? Like what what would be something if it just suddenly popped up tomorrow in California? They'd be like that. That's the fucking model. That's what we need. Um, really, like I I really think for us in our lane that we've built in general the best thing for people like us or like what i think the like d'angelo was saying the online thing like if they could figure out a way where we could just sell cannabis online even mm. if it was strictly only in california right now until something changes with the federal mm. side if we could distribute our own flour like before with 215 it was us on the farm driving the flour to the club doing the talking picking up the money talk doing meet and greets and everything now we can't do anything we have to set mm. the farm and we can't drive it out of there we have to have the distribution company come to the farm to pick it up they have to take it and finish it it's very lucky if you have someone that's cool enough to let you see the whole process you almost don't even get to see your weed until it's in the clubs again and they're the ones taking it to the clubs uh like with the distributor that we had we didn't get to see that much people that much we didn't have mm. a lot of meet and greets like we used to in 215 we didn't know the people that were actually selling our cannabis so it's like mm, we're cut out of the circle the way that mm. the permit system is so if we could get it back to where we could actually take our weed to the clubs ourselves, or just skip that and go online or both really would be nice mm. to work with the people that you want to work with personally and then be yeah. able to do it yourself would be huge and i don't know how hard that would be it doesn't seem too much harder than it already is they are it's so hard to control the plant and the metrics thing like i was saying before is there's so many loopholes and it's so hard to keep track of stuff they have too much information coming in there's mm. just way too much to keep track of so they're never going to be able to keep track of it the way they want to anyways unless they get down to 10 people left you know that's a big yeah. i think they like to do this too because it cuts down on their work time if there's mm -hmm. only 10 farms that are all owned every farm together it all gets consolidated in the books and the way everything gets done yeah um, but i know that 
or I just feel like it's so already overcomplicated in general. We might as well just let us do online, keep track of our sales through a PayPal situation or whatever you keep track of your accounting with. Mm-hmm. Do your thing. That would be huge, huge to just go independent and not need the mm-hmm. circle. Yeah, I mean, if you get some like mobile testing, so again, you had test, test, and send it to the farm because that is is odd to me because you put the love in, you do all of the work. Yeah, a good breeder knows if you fuck up, you're drying and curing, you fucked your crop. Like <laughs> it, it's such a vital point um, for for the process of it transferring from a plant into the bud, into that form. And so many people fuck it up by you know, being greedy by wanting it too fast, cutting too early, by drying too quick, by you're just, you're damaging the over, yeah. yeah, the the overall products. So then have it taken away. I almost felt like a the image in my head was like a cow and it's calf being taken away. And I felt that sense of loss almost as you were describing it. It was weird because it, it's, that's my baby. Why, why are you taking, what are you doing to her? Why can't I see what you're doing to her? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? That That is... Yeah, any anytime you create shadows and darkness deliberately, I think you should we should be wary. Anytime you create obfuscation of the truth and it's not transparent and just straightforward. And look, I, I grew this there, I cut, cut it there, we dried it over here, then we jarred it there, and then you're buying it there. Yeah. Like like touring the place, like again with, with wine vineyards and stuff, you can go and see the grapes and walk the trails and all the rest of it and I think for for a lot of and growing numbers of people, that's important. They're starting to be aware that because of cannabis, especially as a bioremediator, she picks up everything from the ground. You know, anything that is in that soil, she accumulates, and especially in in concentrates now as they become ever more yes. sort of pop popular. Um, I see. Is I think is California one of now joined Washington in uh, calling for banning of certain high potency of extracts. Um, I don't know. I don't know for sure. Mm, I think I think it was. I might be again because of the way my brain works. I'm reading the C, so it's either Colorado or California in my head. Uh, limit the the. In fact, now I've said it. I think it. I think it is Colorado. Yeah, the total. They're trying to limit the total THC. And again, it's just that. Why would you stop when people want that product? In the same way that you can still buy absinthe, but you then have to. It, it's a bit harder to get than just your your, your six pack of beer. Uh-huh. So, but you don't then criminalize it because obviously then all you'll do is create, you know, an illegal market of, of, abs- of absinthe. And this is uh-huh. yeah, exactly. in, entirely all, all they're doing. It's almost that they're getting down to what they can do. They're like, all right, we've got our gardeners that can make five flowers. They can have that. That'll do. It's about 20%. Yeah, that's that's what the market will be. So we'll restrict it. <laughs> I don't know how to do that. So that's not cool. Don't do that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's the same like Feco. Feco is another one, full extract cannabis oil. Okay, that yeah. you're not really seeing in any of these legalized markets. Yeah, they're all talking about the medicinal benefits of cannabis, yet the diluted full extract oil of itself is super powerful. Mm-hmm. Yet nobody anywhere in these legal regions really wants to have that conversation. It's As soon as it's gone legal, uh, it's, the conversation almost has to be about, oh, it's about having fun. It's about you enjoy it. You just say, I'll get you this high. And it's we're not having those other conversations of the potential you know, b- benefits of it. And it just feels a bit weird that they've kind of cut the plant in half or in their, in their estimation going, oh, well, this is medical marijuana, as it is termed in the States. And then this is your recreational cannabis. So you just want to get fucked up. But if you want to get better from cannabis, you have to come to us and we'll pay you and we'll get you on this special cannabis. <laughs> yeah, it's all just cannabis. 
you know, they're doing the same in the UK now with they're trying to make medical cannabis a term. Like, and it's just not, it's an oxymoron. It doesn't make sense in the language because it, you use cannabis medicinally. So, do you know what I mean? So it just, it, it, it creates a, a perfect marketing gimmick because now they've convinced the meta and other social media platforms that hashtag medical cannabis is about medical and safe and patients. And so it's all within that business realm. So it's all the business marketing advertising of the getting them new patients. Yet there's no conversation of the actual patients or the people themselves going, well, here's what I've grown and I use this. And do you know what I mean? Because that's then banned. Yeah. So it's they use they're using this language to kind of create these these narrow avenues, and it, yeah, it seems that the main casualty in this to me is is FECO, which I've been taking on and off for over a decade. It just it in terms of a supplement, it is the best prophylactic that we should all be using, especially in a world where now I don't know what the statistics are in the state states, but in the UK, it's one in two people will now get cancer in their lifetime. Wow. And as we've just had the conversation before about cannabis and, and uh, cancer, why would we, again, then not be pushing as a society? Everybody should be taking FECO a couple of drops a day. That's all it needs. 10 mil solution, a couple of drops a day. That's nothing. It's not going to get you off your yeah. brain. It's not going to interfere with driving. It's, But it is going to help your health a hell of a lot over the long term. Yeah. Mm -hmm. mm. Very true. Yeah. Uh, oh, seeing his little ones crying in the background. <laughs> oh, bless! Anyway, yeah, new father, aren't you? Congratulations! <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, I'm um, aware of time actually as well. I didn't realize I've, I've talked to you off for so long there, guys. I think we'll uh, no, we'll good. round that up. Good, yeah. Sweet, sweet. A good conversation and <clears throat> much needed to talk about. Yeah. I told Ali. Yeah. I said, "What? What? I forget who first told us about you, and it was a long time ago. So it was like." been a long time coming and then i when i checked your podcast out i'm like yeah we gotta get this we gotta we gotta talk with this dude dude he's super cool he's very yeah. insightful and knows a lot of stuff i appreciate it. i think uh someone i know a little pushed you because she did with uh with patrick king as well i'm, I'm desperate to get soil soil king on soon as well oh, yeah. um i think it was sandra lepp um okay. uh -huh. uh, eddie's widow um yes, yeah that is who it was yep yeah and she, she was a wonderful conversation. Again, like I've, I've got an affinity for California, uh, for the cannabis industry there, because it's so almost antithetical to what is presented as California to the rest of the world. And when I kind of went to the, to the north and experienced it, I was like, it's like northern England. Obviously, the weather's a hell of a lot better. But in terms of the ideology and the people, like we just want to live alone. We just want to be self-sufficient, build our own communities, look after ourselves, take care of our own problems. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So yeah, appreciate this conversation and uh, yeah, wish you both all the best uh, with obviously the new child and uh, music and fighting, hopefully what's going to be the demise of proper 64 pretty soon. <laughs> yeah, going through the ropes right now, just bouncing back and forth, trying navigating, to, trying to stand our ground. Mm -hmm. right, keep it up, brothers, keep it up. Like I said, I'm going to superimpose uh a few images uh, from your garden over this video, just to show people the the trees that you guys actually grow, because uh, they're they're quite impressive. <laughs> oh yeah, thank you, brother. Oh yeah, we appreciate it. No worries, no worries. Well, uh, I'll let you guys bounce. I'll do some uh, some housekeeping and say goodbye and whatnot. And um, yeah, we'll uh, we'll speak soon. Okay, yeah, and then um, yeah, just send me the link when everything's done, so we can share it, and we'll talk real soon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. brother. Cool thanks for having us. Much yeah, man. You too. Peace and love, guys. Catch you later. Uh, I think you guys might have to leave because I can't find where the exit button is. Okay. I'll Do this every week. There it is. All right. Okay, Peace. We'll talk Bye. To you soon. Yeah, man. Peace. Peace.
there we go, folks. I will figure out this technology one of these fucking days. Um, that was the guys from Mendo Dope. I enjoyed that conversation. <laughs> I, I love hearing about um, Mendocino as a spot. It is, it's so unique. If you haven't had the opportunity, uh, I, I really suggest uh, trying to get out to Northern California. I, I'd preface that over LA and all the rest of it, but that's that's my, uh, my prerogative and my inclination there. But yeah, we had a really good conversation about sort of the industry. Um, I thought I hope you got sort of some insight into them as musicians. Uh, I'll share some links below to their YouTube and whatnot so you can check out uh, not just their music, but their videos as well. They really put a lot into it. Um, they represent the culture quite hard, uh, as you've, you've obviously just seen. Um, and yeah, the the good bunch of, good bunch of guys, good bunch of guys. And I, I thoroughly fucking enjoyed that conversation. And I hope you guys did too. So if you did, uh, please do uh, like, share, subscribe, all that good shit. Uh, you know, hit that little thing. I can't remember which way it is. It's, it's down on one of the sides. Press the button. Press it. Thank you. Um, so yeah, we'll be back next week with somebody, I don't know who, but it'll be good and you'll enjoy it. Um, but yeah, check us out on patreon.com forward slash sit life, uh, where for less than a cup of coffee a week, you can help me keep the lights on on this little project. Um, do check us out on all social media platforms at Simple Life, and I will be relaunching the website very soon, so keep your eyes peeled. All right, peace and love, folks. Catch you next week. Yo, how are you doing, folks? Welcome to... Ep oh, bollocks. Immediately forgot what number 95. We literally just said it. Oh, oh it's been... Lord.